Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's an enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, actual scenes, actual scenes in every hotel in Cork. Today, only too delighted to get back open. And if you are working in a hotel or a guest house or a B&B and you have been sitting at home out of work for the last few months and you're just gagging to get back at it, good luck with today. I hope everything works out absolutely as you deserve. I hope you'll be packed. I hope that it's just me, the great summer, and this is the start of a great recovery for the hotel sector. And next week, it'll be more people, and next week, it'll be more people. But for today, it's the hotels. We'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later on. But I want to go first this morning to the telephone, because I have been banging on about this for not just weeks, not just months, for years. Things that can happen when you bring barbecue gear, particularly disposable barbecue gear, to the beach and how dangerous it can be. April, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What happened to your little girl and where did it happen? Yeah, so it happened to my daughter, um, Hannah, um, in White Bay. Um, I suppose the restrictions weren't long after being lifted that we could travel within our in our county, so we said we'd take a trip to the beach. Yeah. Um, we went down to White Bay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with White Bay, but you... You park um, at the top uh, in the car park and then you walk down a kind of a steep hill. Yeah. So we went down anyway. There was myself, my husband, my two daughters, my niece and our dog. So uh, we got down and it was very breezy. So I said to the Hannah and my niece, let's go over here to the side. We'll get some shelter while Dad and the dog and Aaron go down to the water. Yeah. So we sat down, there was, there's a tree actually down on the beach, it's there probably a few years now, but we said we'd sit over there just to get a bit of shelter and we sat down on the rocks. Mm-hmm. I'd say we weren't there maybe two minutes PJ and next thing I heard a scream and I looked over 
and Hannah was after, I think, standing on like a metal type wire sheet that somebody had been using for a barbecue. Yeah, you sent a picture of it. You sent us a half a dozen pictures, including one of her poor leg. Yeah. Now, yeah, when um, you take the top off a disposable barbecue like you buy in any shop at all, there's charcoal, obviously, and then there's a lighting taper and all of that. But there's a there's a kind of a metal mesh and it's on top of that mesh that you do your cooking. It's one right. of those. Yeah, it's one of those uh, pretty jaggered now and very Horrible half looking edged. Thing. It's uh, like blades. It's it's like blades. It's not. It's just. Exactly. It's very rough. It just runs off. It it runs off a production line and it's just cut to size and fits in. Yeah. So I think what happened was like even though I was right there, I didn't see it happen initially. She stood on it and it sprung up and sliced the back of her leg open. <laughs> and I mean open now, mm. PJ. When I saw the gash. I couldn't look at it again anymore. I thought I'd get sick. So we just ran. Mm. I didn't know whether to call an ambulance or I didn't know whether to just run and call South Dock. Mm-hmm. What, what age what is she? Did. She's six. She's six. And um, so we ran and I called South Dock while we were going back up the hill. Mm-hmm. And we headed straight then to South Dock in Middleton. Um, they had a look at it for us and... Um, they were just concerned about the blood supply to her foot. Wow. And they sent us straight to CUH to accident and emergency. Okay. Um, so, um, I mean... I presume they bandaged it up and tied it up for you to... Yeah. Yeah, well, they didn't actually do it. They just sent us straight up. So I had something then with me, so I just put it over her leg, you know? Okay. Um, now, at this stage, my jeans and coat were covered in blood. My husband's jeans and coat were covered in blood. And it was just, I, my, my niece and my daughter were in the back crying, terrified. Absolutely, it was just a terrifying experience. So I suppose this is just to highlight again and again and again, please, people, just be responsible and take home your stuff. Everybody likes a bit of fun, but please take home your stuff. Yeah. Um, she ended up in accident emergency and got stitches. Um, just an awful experience really for a day out at the beach. We shouldn't have to be, you know, checking to see what's there, you know. It, it, it shouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah. She got 12 stitches, did she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she's doing great, Good. but it was just a terrifying experience for her, you know. Of course, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're horrible things. I, 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 I know exactly what you're looking at, that kind of a mesh. Yeah, it's, it's all awful. jagged edges. It is. Slice the fingers off you, let alone open your legs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just ripped her like one one clean slice right <sighs> through. Even... Thank God she had no muscle damage or tissue damage. Um, where it happened, like she could have, that could have damaged her Achilles tendon or anything. Anything there, yeah. Yeah, it was just under, like we say, her below her, between her ankle and her calf muscle. Yeah. Um, so she was very lucky. Um so, I mean, as, same as yourself now, PJ, we're, we're just sick of, of saying, please bring home your stuff. Be responsible. Yeah. Have your fun. Bring home your stuff. Yeah, this is a real, real life lesson of what can happen. Because I had heard a story recently, April, of a, a, a little puppy, 12-week-old puppy, brought to the beach for his first run in the beach. Poor little yeah. devil will never go to the beach again because he went digging as puppies will straight down into the charcoal that was still red hot under the sand. Yeah. So idiot had decided to do that. Here's your little girl now with the back of her leg ripped open, 12 stitches. 
everybody terrified because again some idiot mm-hmm. couldn't be bothered their Barney to bring the stuff away with them that's exactly it PJ yeah some idiot yeah that's what it boils down to at the end of the day you know now I know that when you finish cooking they're still hot but hey breaking news there's water 10 foot away get something mm-hmm. pour it over it cool it down exactly. take it away exactly yeah, yeah. absolutely and she's okay now is she She's great now, PJ, and, you know, just to finish on a good note, um, I spoke to you there recently about conversation starters, and Hannah is one of the foreign policy of Beijing children. Ah, I knew I I recognised your voice. (laughs) You're the fella that, or you're the the, the, the woman who he stood up and asked you about foreign policy in Beijing in the bar in Glendore, wasn't it? That's... That's right. Yeah, that's that's us. So <laughs> Hannah is one of the children of foreign, the foreign policy in Beijing story. <laughs> I do. I recognise the voice. Yeah, oh, well, that's it now. So that to finish on a good note. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Our best to everybody. And uh, there's a lesson in this. And thank you very much, April, for speaking to me on the opinion line this morning. That's April eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six White Bay. Look, they're, they're, and they're brilliant things. I've used them myself. The, the, the disposable barbecue, what are they? They're, they start about seven or eight quid. You bring them down, there's a little taper, and that lights the charcoal, and then you do the sausages and whatever you're bringing with you, and that's fine. And some people, if they're being responsible, will then go to the water and get a bucket of water or a bottle of water and pour it in on top of the charcoal and let it all cool down, and then you put the waste into a bag and you take it home. But what some idiot did down in White Bay was left that awful wire grill, which is on top of it, left it in the ground where it was obviously camouflaged by sand and stones and pebbles. And poor April went walking, as she's entitled to on a beach, and whack, back of her leg, sliced open, 12 stitches. I'm saying this for years. Take them damn things home. And here we have a lesson. And as I said, I was telling Terry this morning, I heard about a little 12-week-old puppy brought to the beach for his first run on the beach. What puppy doesn't love a run on the beach? And like every puppy will do, he went digging. And some gowl had left the charcoal, covered it with a layer of sand, and there you go. Please take everything home, especially... This is hot and it's dangerous. Please, please, please take your barbecues home. And you know what? I wonder do they come, these barbecues, with a warning on them, on the cardboard sheet around them? Because they should come with a large warning to say, please dispose of them carefully and please bring them home with you. 1850 715 Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Corks 96 FM invites you to take part in the Cork City Virtual Marathon over the coming weeks, culminating on the June Bank Holiday Weekend with over 1,000 runners already signed up. Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal, whatever your reason, we want you to get out and hit the streets, join a relay team, or go solo in the half or full marathon. Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie CorkCityMarathon.ie The Cork City Virtual Marathon Half Marathon and Relay Open now until the June Bank Holiday Weekend Feeling alive.
with Cork's 96FM. Now, yesterday morning we were speaking with Adam Higgins from the Irish Sun about what might be coming in this recovery package from the government. €4 billion euro in recovery package for businesses and for everybody affected and the economy affected and destroyed by the pandemic. And yesterday afternoon uh, it was announced uh, amid much fanfare. Now, there's a few downers, downers to it, as you can appreciate, and I'll go through them because Adam's got a very good piece in the sun today with the ups and downs of the new package. But here it is, as announced by by the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, particularly for the business sector and how it will be restarted following the pandemic. Our core objective is to restore and then go beyond pre-pandemic employment levels to not just rebuild but to build back better. We are significantly extending the employment wage subsidy scheme and the pandemic unemployment payments. The EWIS will be extended until the end of the year and businesses may apply for enhanced reopening payments during July, August and September. We are broadening eligibility so it will benefit even more firms in recognition of the difficult first half of the year that businesses have faced. The pandemic unemployment payment will be maintained at its current rates for workers until September and only then will we begin a gradual reduction over the remainder of 2021 and over the first quarter of 2022. The COVID restrictions support scheme is being extended until the end of 2021 with an enhanced restart payment of three weeks at a double rate. In addition, in September, we will introduce a new business resumption support scheme for businesses who continue to be significantly impacted. The commercial rates waiver is being extended for a further uh, three months. The tourism sector will be supported through a further extension of the reduced 9% VAT rate for the sector until September 2022 and Board business continuity scheme. Support for the events sector will include the music and entertainment business assistance scheme, the life performance support scheme and a further new events sector support scheme. We will also develop a basic income guarantee pilot scheme for artists. And these are rooted in an overall ambition to drive a jobs-rich recovery and to exceed pre-pandemic employment levels by having 2.5 million people in work by 2024. Crucially, many of these jobs will be new areas of opportunity. Our focus is on recovering differently with jobs that are more sustainable, productive, resilient, secure and valued. That's the Taoiseach doing his sales pitch, as he must, for the four billion recovery package. Now, Adam has been examining it in detail in this morning's paper, and he goes through all of those different plus sides, as it were, from the Taoiseach. Uh, The other side of it is that the PUP is closed off to new entrants from next month. Then it's reduced and will end in February of next year. 300,000 people currently in receipt of it, according to the latest figures. Um, The government admits that the jobs market will take years to recover, so we can expect 10% unemployment for next year, but they're still going to do away with the PUP and cut it way down to the 203 or the equivalent of the dole by next February. Uh, The minister responsible, Heather Humphreys, has admitted there will be loads of job losses across a number of different areas. If you look at retail, for example, loads of jobs to be lost. Uh, there will be 50,000 new education and training places. The 9% VAT rate for the tourism sector, that's being kept until the end of uh, 20, uh, till the end of September. 
So at least that would be a positive for them. They say they'll build 33,000 homes a year. But on the subject of homes, Adam tells us that the property tax, and this broke yesterday towards the end of the programme, the property tax is changing. First of all, everybody's property tax will go up. Anyone who's paying it since 2013 or 2012 or whenever it came in, I can't remember, will go, it'll go up because houses will all be revalued in November. Now, it'll go up by about 90 quid for those of us who are paying it already. But if your house was built after 2013, up to now, and this is 2021, if your house was built after 2013, then you don't pay property tax. That's ending. From next year, you will pay property tax at whatever tax band it comes into. So you could be caught for a couple of hundred extra uh, coming out of your tax bill every year from from January 1. Uh, the minister said many people will not face an increase. Those who do, it's a single band which will be 90 quid. And that's all very fine. But hundreds of thousands of people are going to come into this for the first time, face a, a sizable, sizable tax tax bill. The Green Initiatives, we'll deal with them later on. This exciting idea, well, it's not really an exciting, it is an exciting idea if you're into it, as in a train from Mallow all the way down to Middleton. That's brilliant. Not new, by the way. That that was there. goodness me, that was there. I think, when Fianna Fáil and the Greens were in government last. It just never happened. We were supposed to get stations in Blarney and there was a new station in Menard and stuff like that. It never happened. They tell us it'll happen now, which is great, and it'll cost a hundred and... 184 uh, million. And then there will be uh, retrofitting. Now, we'll deal with retrofitting later on in the programme. The retrofitting of your house for modern heating standards and modern green energy standards. They're, they're going to have people taking out loans, low-cost retrofit loans to retrofit your house with insulation. All of that is all contained in this package. It's a big, big package. There's lots in it. Your newspapers are full of it. This morning, let me go to uh, Mick Barry, uh, Cork North Central TD for Solidarity. Straight away, Mick, yesterday you picked up on on the property tax. Good morning. Yeah, hi, PJ. Yes, um, you know, the Taoiseach said last night that this is not austerity. They're putting money in, not taking money out. And it is true that money is being put in. But the question is, who's being asked to foot the bill? And it does seem that it's... Uh, ordinary working people and their families once again. And we see this with the cuts to the PUP on the one hand uh, and with the increases in the property tax uh, on the other hand. Uh, My understanding of the position with the property tax, there'll be more information today, is that there are uh, 100,000 households which have been exempt uh, since 2013 uh, and they're all going to be roped in now, 400 to 500 euro year on average. Well, hold on, on a while now. Hold on a while with that one. You don't know that, Mick. You don't know that. It's based on the value of the house. So you don't know that. Yeah, I, what I'm saying is uh, 400 to 500 euro a year on average, okay? Uh, and it will be the case, I think, that the uh, bigger cities like Cork and Dublin uh, will be hit disproportionately hard because that's where the prices have gone up the most in recent okay. years. And the valuation... So you're averaging across the whole country? Yes. Hmm. So most people will be a lot lower than that? What I'm saying is that... Uh, it, it, like, we are if you're going to throw out a figure like four or five hundred quid, Mick, you've got to be able to stand over it. Because I, 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 I live in Douglas, as you know, right? And I have a, a house that's older than 2013, considerably old. And I pay, I think, 
uh, it comes out of my wages and it's 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 just under 30 quid a month. So I'm paying maybe 360 a year and I live in Douglas. So, you know, it's not... It, for, say, saying 500 quid is, is disingenuous. Uh, no, it's not. So to be clear on what I'm saying, PJ, okay, because I think you're, you're picking me up the wrong way there, okay? The 30, it's estimated that 33% of households uh, will pay an extra 90 euro a year. They'll go up one band. Yeah. 3% of households will, will pay an extra 180 euro. They'll go up two bands. And on top of that, 100,000 households, which did not pay property tax up until now because they were exempt, will mm. no longer be exempt, will have to pay property tax. And it's estimated that the average bill will be somewhere between 400 and 500 mm. euro for those new households that are being Here's, here's another now. question, Mick. If I'm paying property tax in my house, which was built in, in the 90s, early 90s, if I'm paying property tax on my house, why shouldn't the guy up the road whose house was built in, in 2040, why shouldn't he pay property tax on, the, on virtually the same house? Well, you're making an argument there for uh, equal treatment. Yes. Uh, and for equality. Uh, and if I, I have to pay it, why doesn't he have to pay it? Yeah, I'm for equal treatment uh, and I'm for equality, but I'm in favour of equalising down, not equalising up. In other words, instead of bringing him in and forcing him to pay the 400 to 500 like yourself, I'm in favour of saying that the property tax should be scrapped for both of you. And, and right? replaced with what, Mick? Where'd um, the money come from? Okay, well, there is a debate taking place uh, internationally, and it's particularly hot in Europe, about the idea of a COVID wealth tax, okay? There's, there's talk now that the, uh, there will be a K-shaped economic recovery, which means... No, that just a straight... Where, if we were to scrap... The, as you would, the property tax tomorrow. What will replace that money on Monday morning? It should be replaced, in my view, uh, by some of the proceeds of a COVID wealth tax. On whom? And what I mean by what I mean by a COVID wealth tax is this: that there have been winners and losers in economic terms over the last fifteen months with the pandemic. All right. Mm-hmm. The, big, the biggest losers economically have tended to be young people. The biggest winners economically have tended to be big corporations. So, for example, your Netflixes, your Googles, your Pfizers, those big businesses. Okay. The richest man in the world, uh, Jeff Bezos, has increased his personal wealth by billions mm-hmm. over the course of the pandemic. Okay. So the idea of a COVID wealth tax is a serious idea that has been put forward by many economists internationally, right? In mm. fact, there's even... How a much would it minister. raise here? Well, it depends on what rate you set it, PJ, but if you take account of the fact that the Sunday Times tell us that the 300 richest people in the country have 93 billion euro worth of wealth between them, you can see that the potential for us is far greater than the potential income from the property tax, which right. is about half a billion well, euro a year. As I said, I look, I, I, I had no choice but to pay property tax when it came in. It goes through my wages. It's another bit of tax taken out of me every month. If I thought that Mr. Bezos would, would pay it for me, I'd be only too delighted. In the real world, I can't see it happening. Move on to the, to the, the, the training positions. Now, is this a job bridge too, I think, is your worry there? 
Yeah, so it was announced yesterday that there would be uh, 50,000 new training positions uh, focused in on digital on the one hand uh, and green jobs on the other hand. Um, This is potentially a positive proposal. I mean, we're going to have high levels of unemployment, in particular high levels of youth unemployment, um, as the pandemic begins to recede, hopefully, uh, and far less opportunities for emigration, at least in the short term, than would have been the case in the past. So the idea of training schemes is a good idea. But the question is, what kind of training? Is it going to be real training with decent rates of pay and with a job or even the guarantee of a job at the end of it? Or are we going to go back to the kind of fiasco that we had 10 years ago during the austerity era when the Fine Gael Labour government introduced uh, JobBridge? Because JobBridge was cheap labour, exploitative scandal. And there's no Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. that we should or could go back to that type of so-called training scheme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And look, nobody would want to, because I do remember talking to people on JobBridge, how uncomfortable it was, how degrading many of them found it, how difficult the system was to deal with. But I mean, if you take what, what Minister Humphreys said yesterday, and I'm, I'm quoting from the newspaper here now, she said, there are going to be job losses across a number of different areas. Uh, the plan will pay for 50,000 new education and training places, 3,000 in state employment, a new version of the old job bridge scheme. So that's that. And those are her quotes, a new version of the old job bridge scheme. What does she have to answer? What questions need to be put to her on that last phrase alone? Well, I don't trust Minister Humphreys. Do I whether you trust her or not? Analyze what you just said. She said a new version of the old job bridge scheme. Okay, so the questions are, number one, will it be real training? Number two, what will the rate of pay be? Will it be a decent rate of pay? And number three, will there be jobs at the end of it, including the question of a guaranteed job at the end of the training? Those are the questions See, that need to be put. The problem with guaranteed job, Mick, let, let's, let's, let's bring, again, another little real-world factoid in here. And I'm not being smart with you now. You know we, we chat a lot about this stuff over the years. There is no guarantee of a job for anybody in this world anymore. Okay, well, I'll give you another real-world factoid, PJ, all right? Mm. And that is that when Jobbridge was in place uh, back in the day uh, during the austerity crisis, less than 20% of the people who did job bridge training got a job out of it got a job yeah. with the host employer yeah, right that's true you mentioned that there is no one in favor of a return to the old job bridge system i would dispute that i think that there are people who did very well out of the old job bridge system and who would love to see a return to it? In cheap labour. You're right. No, 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 you're right there. That was it was a mess because it was cheap labour, labour, and people used job bridger after job bridger after job bridger, and they didn't hire any of them. True. Cor- correct. There's an employer who I won't name, who's not too far away from your studio. You wouldn't have there. to. Empl- you wouldn't have to name any of them because there's loads of them out there who did it. Let, let's. We know this. Yeah. Yeah. Hired 28 people. 28 people on a job bridge scheme, and of course it displaced. They should have been kicked off it for doing that. It should have been, but there was, I think, 35 companies kicked off it over the course of all the years that it was there. It was a drop in the bucket to make it look like... The and plus, you're right, there were people who could well have afforded to pay the proper wage of the day, but instead they hired a job ridger. And that, can't, you're right, Mick, that can't be allowed to happen again. Going to leave it there for now. Thank you, Mick.
Barry, solidarity today for Cork North Central. Uh, thanks, Mick. We'll talk again, no doubt, because this one, this one ain't going to go away. Is this austerity, Mark? Too is the question I think that needs to be to be asked. Sheila says, and I bewitch you here, Sheila. Sheila says there should be a reduced rate, at the very least, for pensioners and social welfare recipients. At the moment, all you can do is request a waiver. This is for property tax. It's then added to a bill for when you sell or pass on the building. Yes, that is true. So if you get a waiver from your property tax for 10 or 12 years or whatever you get it for, and you sell the house, particularly if it's your family home, you sell it on where mom or dad dies, you sell it on, there's a property, this outstanding property tax comes off the sale of the house. That is true. Uh, your DJ is dismissive of taxing the very wealthy and corporate and focuses on what about your first property tax. Bugger you, Jack. I'm all right. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I may be very clear here. I would love to see Mr. Bezos or Mr. Netflix or, or Mr. Twitter or anybody. I would love to see these massive international corporations pinned down and more tax paid. I would absolutely love to. Uh, Apple, you name them, Nike. You, I would love to see an ideal And when they have paid, when they're supposed to pay 12.5%, I would love to see them paying it, all of it. Problem is, in the real world, they don't. In the real world, they don't. I'd love to see that. I mean, I would love to see, as I said, Mr. Bezos paying my property tax. <laughs> is it ever going to happen? There's my, there's, I thought real world. Thank you, though. 1850 On the phone, we have to do what we have to do. We had to spend money on the pandemic. Now we have to repay it, and it has to come from somewhere. Thanks for querying him. The only thing I would say is I would prefer to see, and this is where I stand, if you're interested in where my politics stand, Germany only finished paying back the cost of World War II like the other day. Because after the war, to rebuild itself, Germany couldn't afford to pay back those massive debts. And they only paid it back like the other day. There was a name for it. Was it Marshall money or something like that? What, what should be happening? What should be happening is the EU should be pumping trillions of dollars in our euro into the economies and we pay it back over a hundred years. That would be the ideal situation. Will it ever happen? Me doubts. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. <laughs> Quark's 96FM's Be Kind to Your Mind with GP, author and wellness expert, Dr. Mark Rowe. I would encourage people to getting some exercise and movement. If you can get out and exercise in nature, I think that's even better because nature has so many other benefits in terms of making you feel more creative, dampening down stress, ramping up feelings of positivity, innovation, and also, interestingly, lowering your blood pressure. It's good for your heart and good for your immune system. Just those small little things that make you feel good. Getting some exercise and movement. Exercise, I call it the greatest pill of all. So spending time in nature and you know, do things that you enjoy doing. Have fun. Life is to be lived. Helping you through COVID. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96FM. Right, let's take a government view on this, uh, on the package announced yesterday. Uh, Padraig O'Sullivan, Fianna Fáil TD for Cork North Central. Padraig, good morning. Morning, PJ. Now, there's a lot in there to be positive about. And as Leo Varadkar says, that they hope that the economy 
They, he predicts rather than hoping the economy will take off like a rocket. And if it does, then there'll be a shed load of tax coming in to pay for all the things that you want to do. But the property tax extension, Padraig, is not going down well because you have families who've struggled through this. Many of them have lost one job, if not two. They're sweating to pay the mortgage or the rent as it is. And you want to lob a property tax on top of them. Well, I suppose, look, PJ, I'm one of those people that's going to be affected by that because I bought my property back in 2014. Um, so I would have um, benefited from an exemption previously, you know, where people would have moved into a new house or um, uh, an empty house in 2013 onwards. So I would have, I'd be one of the person that, people that has benefited from that over the years. But, like, um, I suppose there is a situation where, you know, a lot of the population is paying property tax and paying for services and a lot of that tax goes towards local authorities. Um, so this is merely, you know, it's bringing people in line with, with what other people are, are paying, you know, yeah. on their property. There is the so, equality across the board. I mean, the thing that I have, I pay mine, you pay yours, but because, well, you, you weren't paying, but you'll come into it no. now. Uh, you know, we should all have been paying it from day one or, or nobody been paying it from day one. So you'll be coming into the net. That would seem fair in itself, but but as as Mick Barry would point out, well, surely there's another way to raise that money by increasing tax on the people who actually have that money. PJ, I find it hilarious that people on the left, you know, including Mick, will propose that um, scrapping a property tax. Property tax, like any left-wing party in Europe, would be in favour of a property tax. You know, lots of people don't like paying it. Some people would, would argue that they don't see the benefit, they don't mm. see the footpath. Well, the, their argument the is there's an, easier, there's an easier way to get the money. I mean, let's, uh, I mentioned it. I mean, like Mr Bezos or any one of those could well afford to pay my property tax with the enormous amount of money he has made during the pandemic. The, the, the wealthiest people on the planet are wealthier, by, and the wealthiest people in Ireland are wealthier after this pandemic, could could they not pay my property tax or yours instead of me having to pay, having to pay it? I, I have no problem with the premise that the wealthiest pay the most tax. That's you know we have a very progressive taxation system in this country. But in terms of local property tax, the people that have the bigger properties or the people that have you know the bigger sites, they are paying more money. They have, um, but you see, when they built tax. those houses, Padraig, when they built those houses, they may like they may have okay two years ago. Someone had a, a fine big house and two cars in the drive and a successful business. Now, post-pandemic, the arse has fallen out of the business. He's had to lay off all of his workers. He's surviving on Chris or whatever they have and pups. They can barely meet the mortgage. So their property tax will cripple them if it goes up again, if, particularly if they come into the bracket on a, on a wealthy house, on an expensive house. Yeah, I take it there will be concerns about, you know, properties will be reassessed and under new value. Up to now, people could have left the old valuation on their property and I suppose benefited in that regard in that there was no review done, you know. But this has been put on the long finger by previous governments for a long time. And I think, look, it's not a popular decision, PJ. Like, nobody wants to be bringing in increased taxes, but like, as, as, a, as a population, I suppose we've all acknowledged over the last couple of years throughout the pandemic that, you know, we are going to have to raise extra revenue somehow. Yeah, and um, unfortunately... This but is you do acknowledge as well, Padre, do you not? You, you do acknowledge that, OK, and you will come into the bracket next year. And, and I don't know how much you'll pay, but you will come into the property tax bracket from, from next year. But, but on your salary, that's not going to be much of, of a burden. Whereas someone who has one or two pup payments coming in will be sweating. They didn't sleep last night. 
Yeah, and look, there are things there of PJ for people, you know, in terms of, you know, making out payment plans if that was required. Um, you're right, there's people on a salary like myself, 90-odd thousand euros, and, you know, uh, I would be able to manage it much more than somebody that has potentially lost their job. Um, like, on the other hand, though, PUP payments have been extended um, or confirmed, we'll say there's a bit of certainty around them for the next number of months, and I suppose there'll be a gradual... Um, yeah, but they'll be wound down just as the property taxes wound up. Yeah, no, I take that. I take your point, but at the same time, like I hate to use the word fairness, but like like you said, there's people like you that have paid this property tax. For and a I, be, of years. I admit, Patrick, by the way, I am I am. I've said it before. I, I am well paid for what I do, and I can I can afford to pay my property tax. I can afford to see it going out of my wages every month. And if there's an increase, if I have to go up a band, I don't like it, but I can do it. Do you know what I mean? But I, I'm yeah. thinking of the guy who who's not as lucky as me, who, whose job wasn't protected for the last year and a half. And, and like I said, didn't sleep last night. And I suppose a lot of this, PJ, is contingent on, you know, the government have set a target of getting an extra 2.5 million people back to work by 2024. So a lot of this, you know, in this plan is contingent on getting people back to work, paying taxes, earning more money um, and kind of restarting the economy post-pandemic. So I suppose it needs to be taken in the round and not just isolated to just the fact that it's a tax. Like, all going well, you know, we have a good summer in terms of hospitality and, um, you know, people going back to pubs, restaurants, you know, spending that extra income, just disposable income that they have, you know, that will hopefully fuel the economy. Um, and as, as I said, we're, we're hoping to have over 2 million people back to work in the next two or three years, um, you know, and hopefully they'll be able to regain that earning potential and that ability to pay bills that they would have had previous to the pandemic mm. into the future. Now, and I know it was uh, a Fine Gaelor who said it, so we'll excuse that one, but you're in government with them now. It was Enda Kenny who said in 1994 that it was morally wrong, unjust and unfair to tax a person's home. Is it? No, well, I, I think I touched on that earlier. Like, I myself as an individual, and I would have sat as a councillor, and every year we would have faced, I suppose, the prospect of increasing or reducing um, the property tax, you know, that 15% flexibility that was there for local authorities. Mm-hmm. Personally, if I if I see that my public lights are working, street lights are working, if I see that I have footpaths out in, in my area or my roads are being repaired, then as a principle, I don't, you know, I don't have any, any issue with paying property tax if I see a return for it. I do see that some people, you know, particularly in rural areas where they don't see those, those amenities, I do see how those people people might have an issue with paying property tax, but mm. essentially this, this this tax goes towards paying for those. Like look, at the, look at the people down around Fennels Bay and Church Bay and Myrtleville and Fountainstown last weekend and, and cleaning, sending out volunteers to clear bags of rubbish off beaches, not a bin in sight, and they're paying property tax. Yeah, there's a difference there, though, with, with, with areas like that. Like, if you ask me, local authorities are consciously, and this has been the... the the, the plan for the last number of years, they consciously don't put in bins. Like, I had to have an argument with a local area engineer recently where, to be fair, he agreed to give me a bin in an area, but only if we would maintain it as, as a community group. Now, in the end, I ended up getting a local shop nearby to maintain the bin and to agree to empty it every so often. But as a policy, local authorities, that is their policy for the last number mm. of years. They have chosen not to put in bins because they're, they're, they, they would actually... Oh, no, that, that, that's what we've discussed. But in terms of, like, the proper the property tax... Is it is it is it fair that householders must pay a tax on their home in principle? Well, it goes back to the point I said earlier about like those with the bigger properties who pay the bigger tax. No, no. That basis, is it, it a fair is principle? Is it a fair principle? Yeah, no. Personally, from my own point of view, I think it is. I think we have to pay for services. 
you know, and this is one of the, the mechanisms that's used to, 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 to raise taxation for those services that we're talking about. All right, leave it there, Padre. Thank you very much. 1850-715-996. Someone said there recently, right, we won't pay, we won't spend the property tax on bins or collection of bins and all of that. We'll spend it on slippery paving stones that you'd be brained on going down Patrick. I mean, I guarantee if you walk down Patrick Street, it's a kind of a dirty old morning now. Those paving stones on Patrick Street at the moment are like an ice rink. This is the worst kind of a morning from them, for them because we've had that kind of old mucky, old drizzly rain. And I'm looking down now at, at, the Pat, at Patrick Street to the, the Bet Galley design from whenever it was done and those lovely flagstones which look brilliant in Barcelona and look lovely in Madrid. But the problem is it rains an awful lot less. You get an awful lot of that old crappy rain, less of that crappy rain over there. So it's like an ice rink down there, and they spent a lot of money. I see the point. I see the point. 1850-715-996. How about the politicians take a pay cut? Won't happen, of course, is that one. Austerity has been brought back, and the focus is PAYE, says Adam. I'd like Mr. Bezos to pay my property tax. Is belittling it. How about Amazon pay a new online sales tax for all sales in Ireland or countries? Well, actually, actually that's kind of what I mean, Adam. Um, putting in layman's language. A sales tax on every Amazon purchase in the country of sale. Could it be done? Sure it could. Uh, you make me laugh, PJ. You cheered lockdown after lockdown and now you're giving out about the consequences. You find me when I cheered lockdown, Tom. You find me in an instant where I cheered lockdown. Never did. Never did. I said it was an unfortunate inevitability, but I never cheered it. Also had big announcements yesterday, particularly doing with Cork and transport. Firstly, this is an important day for the people, in my mind, of Cork. Because what we're signalling here is the start of a major investment in Metropolitan Rail Network for Cork. A transformation of the city. A line, a, a commuter line that will run not just from Cove, but from Middleton to Mallow. Running through Kent Station. Putting new station, stations in time in the likes of Tivoli and Blarney and Monard, Kilbarry and other locations. There's 30,000 houses zoned beside along near those stations. It's a signal to the developers and the councils in Cork. We build around the stations. We build sustainably. We do transport-led development. And we start today, 184 million euros, starting from Middleton to Glanton, Carrickthul, doing up Kent Station to run right the way through so we get to Mallow. Brilliant idea, Oliver Moran. It's not a new one, though. This was first mooted the last time the Greens were in government and didn't happen. Good morning. No, you're, you're correct, uh, Peter. Yeah, it's been it's been mooted for a long time. I, what's different this time is that now money is on the table. Um, so the 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 overall uh, scheme uh, to to get this up and going, to get this uh, this metropolitan community rail network in Cork uh, in in the strategy, it's been valued as 274 million. So this is 184 million of that. It's going to have all the engineering works in place, and that's that's a massive step along the timeline. Way. Timeline, it's straight away, pretty much. Uh, like all this money is is part of uh, the the COVID recovery. This is grants from the European Union to to stimulate the economy after after COVID, um, and the condition on them all is that they start going straight away. So the the reason for I suppose putting all the money into this project in Cork is because there's no planning issues around it. It's all in or there and land. It's you know it's, it's all planned for already, so mm. it can start going straight away. Any plans for Carrick Tool West by any chance? So, the, 
I, I, I suppose just to, to, to say exactly what, what's happening and then the, that's the next step of what, what happens. So the, the, the overall vision is that there will be a commuter network running from Mallow, Trucan uh, Station, onto Middleton and then, as we know, the spur to Cove. Um, there, the barriers to that right now is, first of all, the line from Mallow doesn't run straight through Kin Station. So that's one engineering thing that has to be fixed so that you, you can actually go straight through. Um, when you get past Glowntown to Middleton, right now it's a single track. If we're going to have you know every, every 10 minutes a train going to backwards and forward there, that needs to be double line track. Um, then you, you, you need things like improved uh, uh, signaling along the way and you, you need to upgrade the whole thing to be uh, uh, an, electri- an electrified line um, instead of just diesel locomotives, so it's a genuine commuter network. Now, once that's all in place, that's all the pieces for um, a, a, a metropolitan mm. commuter network, and then we get into looking at stations. Now, the, the, the top priority stations are uh, Blarney, Blackpool, and Tivoli, where yeah. the port of is now. But Carrickfield West is there, uh, same with, with Water Rock to the, to the it's, west. It's a fabulous side. idea. The only thing about it is 184 million. Would that not be better spent on tram buses around the city? No, this is the, the, the they're both happening, and it's, it's not either or. Um, so are they? The, yeah, I know they are both happening. Uh, so, but on here in the north side, look, we, we have the rail infrastructure there, but down, you know, from as as you know, from from Ballincollig through the city centre and down the Mahan, that's the route that that's being considered for uh, the light rail. But as the first step to that, as you say sort of tram buses uh, is, is the easiest way to, to get that in place, mm. get it up and, and will we see, and, will and we see those in, in the near future? So where that is now is figuring out where that line will actually go and that's going to be, that's going to be, quite, that's going to be quite a fought over line because remember like trams take away space from, from cars. You, you, you don't share a line with, with, uh, on, on the street with cars. So that's going to be a politically very fraught. Mm. Well, I remember the arguments over where the Lewis would go in Dublin, but I wouldn't. Exactly. I'd love exactly. a Lewis for Cork because it's a great system. And, and we, we, you know, we've we had a taste of that already in this council. One of the first debates we had was, was over the Wilton Road. And one of the, the, the genuine arguments uh, put forward in that, which we, we had to take on board, was that, look, if you're looking at it just you know street by street by street, of course everyone's going to be arguing over it, but we need to see the overall mm. picture. Okay. So where that is now is looking at that overall picture. Lastly and briefly, I'll not have much time on this one, we'll be talking about it later on, a lot of retrofitting talk in this package and a lot of talk about loans for people to yeah. retrofit. Are you really going to ask people to go into debt to retrofit their home at a time when people are trying to pay mortgages and get out of debt? There, there's there's a, a couple of mixes to, to the retrofit thing. One is... Uh, soft loans like has been put forward here but there's also going to have to get a mix of grants there's also economies of scale and that's going to take down the cost of it so part of the whole retrofitting thing and retrofitting is huge over the next 10 years it's going to be jobs but it's also going to have to be um, what was, are called regional one-stop shops uh, where you get the whole lot done, yeah. You get the whole lot done. I think I'll be talking to one of them later on, but the, yeah. the cost is going to be very that's, high that's no matter what you do it cost. with, and that's it, the problem. It, People are worried about how much it's going to cost them to retrofit their home, and I hope that when the plan does come out, that it will take that into account. Oliver, I'll leave it there, which I've no doubt we'll talk more about retrofitting and other things, but a time has caught me. That's Oliver Moran, uh, Councillor Oliver Moran of the Green Party. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Ah, as I thought, as I thought, and my answer to uh, Trisha's question comes from Kevin. Look, I don't live in council accommodation, so I don't know how it's paid, but property tax is rolled into the rent. So Trish said the working man and the fellow who owns his own home pays for everything and doesn't pay any property tax. Not really, Trish. Uh, Someone who's living in council accommodation also pays their property tax. It's rolled into the rent. So just clarifying that. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, It's one of those kind of free houses arguments that tends to, to boil people's blood a little bit. You do pay property tax if you're in a local authority house. It's rolled into the rent. So if the rent is very small, obviously the the property tax is small but that's that's the answer to Trisha's question. Shona says oh PJ hold me back hold me back Shishi the government has to go they are too incompetent to even argue with uh, the light, this is uh, Helen says the light rail is just like the event centre. A lot of talk and no action. They should spend the money on the health system and of course the question comes in with regard to that wonderful idea and it is a wonderful idea to be able to go on a train all the way from Mallow down to Middleton great commuter service it's in pretty much every modern city in the world much better commuter rail two questions one how much will it actually cost if you go to London the last time I was in London was oh December December 2019 for a day or two the cost of public transport in London would make you cry it's so cheap it really is so flipping cheap the cost of public transport in London. The cost of public transport here, not so much. So how much will this rail, this wonderful rail system actually cost to use? The other thing is, the Green Party were the very people who pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed for the Greenway between Middleton and Yall. Look, Greenways are lovely, they're grand and they're popping up all over the country and they're kind of the modern thing that we all love in this new world, cycling and walking and bringing the dog out and skateboard. We love it. But they built it on top of the flipping railway line. Like, could you not have done a really wonderful job? A really, really wonderful job and bring back the railway line all the way down to Yall and make Yall the commuter town it should be. At the time that was discussed, remember, we had lots of discussions on the programme about people in favour of greenways and how wonderful they are, and they are. But when you could probably have reintroduced a railway to make a huge town like y'all a commuter town, why not do that? Anyway, 1850-715-996. I'd like your thoughts, if you'd care to share them, on this notion, Owen English has it in the examiner this morning, the Port of Cork planning to fence off sections of the city centre quays, Albert Key, Kennedy Key, uh, the Port of Cork property quays there down, down onto the South Jetty. Uh, it owns and operates them, the port does, from the top of Albert Key, down Kennedy Key, onto the jetties. Now, when you saw the crowds photographed there last weekend, we were all looking at the health and safety element of it and worrying about so many people in one place at one time because we're not completely out of this pandemic yet. It is safer outdoors. Safer. But is it safe to have that many hundreds of people gathered in all one place? That's a discussion for itself. What I thought was an absolute flame and miracle was nobody drowned. Like, they're on the edge of the quay drinking and socialising and partying. And look, that's fine. Do that if you want to do that. 
But God almighty, it's an open key. So maybe that's why they're fencing it off. But they, they do intend to fence off Albert Key, Kennedy Key. Uh, it also says it has 24-7 commercial traffic. And it's imperative the berths or keys are free and available to operate and facilitate vessels coming in. It has no parking signage in the area. Uh, last week, cars were clamped. Motors had to pay €120 Euro release fee. So for what the Port of Cork says is a health and safety reason, they will be blocking off their keys uh, this weekend. What do you think? Because, look, if the weather improves, and it might... Certainly Sunday and Monday looks promising enough for the June weekend. So can you imagine Sunday, if we get a nice warm Sunday like we had last Sunday, thousands of people back down in Kendy Key like there was last Sunday. Now they're going to block off Kennedy Key, Albert Key, the Port of Cork. So where are they going to go? Where will they go? They have nowhere to go. That's one argument. The other argument is they just stay at home and go somewhere else. But I just thought it was a miracle that no one fell off the key and drowned last weekend. 1850-715-996. Your thoughts appreciated. Now, I saw a very, very upsetting photograph on social media. There's a beautiful place down near Baltimore. It's a gorgeous place called Kedge Island. It's just one of these little places that makes West Cork paradise. little place called Kedge Island. And you'd often see seals around Kedge Island. Island and the Baltimore Sea Safari people took a picture of a seal tied up and caught up in a discarded fishing net. Michael Cottrell is the owner and skipper of the Baltimore Sea Safari. And Michael, it is one of the most beautiful places on God's earth. Um, but this uh, a very distressing photograph. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, do you know, um, we wrote on Friday and we saw a seal in the water which netting wrapped in us we got a photograph of it um, on Saturday we wrote another trip later in the day and there was low tide we saw that the seal hauled up on the shoreline uh, with the, the, obviously the same seal with the netting still on it you know so it's hard to see like and hard to look at that but it's just one of those places that's inaccessible to get ashore and do anything about yeah. it you know so there was nothing much we could do with it um, we've since been out two trips on Sunday two trips yesterday out to the same area and didn't see any sign of that seal anywhere yeah. in the area you know? it's not a place you can berth up at and, and help uh, him no 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 you know it's, it's, they call it Cage Island but basically it's just kind of a, a rocky outcrop you know <laughs> that's but all it is really yeah it is but it's home to you know massive board activity you know and, and, and seals of course on the island yeah yeah, yeah. and we don't know what happened to this guy I mean they don't they just get more tangled up they just roll around they don't have opposable thumbs as it were they can't go at it. they can't cut it off themselves they can't pull it off themselves they just get un- un- hopelessly tied up yeah obviously like it was just you know got his head through it somehow and you know got fastened on his neck but you know as the seal will grow older you know it's not going to release itself off it no saying that you know I mean in 14 years of doing trips that's only the second time we've ever seen a seal caught up in anything, you know, about five years ago. Which is good, which is good. Rope, yeah. Which is good, and like, we visited a lot of seals, you know. Um, would, it, would it have been a bit of discarded fishing net for a for a trawler and stuff? Um, it depends, you know, I mean, it could have come anyway, it could have been washed off a boat, it, you know, it could have been something that tore on the bottom and, you know, the seal got into it in the bottom or something, you just don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, around here in Baltimore, um, the county council provided a, an area within the harbour yeah. where all the fishermen you know, discard their nets and ropes 
um, you know, any toys, plastic. Yeah, I've seen you know, that. It's 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 set aside specific for dumping yeah, dumping old tackle. I've seen that. Yeah, and it's yeah. always you know it's always been used, and you know they they discard everything. So you know they're they're trying their best you know to do this. You know, but obviously you know you'll just you'll get pieces that appear wherever you know it's like everything else. You know, so they'll be um, mending a net or patching yeah, a net, exactly, and yeah, the the, yeah. the bit of patch or the the the, the damage bit gets discarded, and yeah. yeah. But you'd often see, you know, I mean, along the coast, you know, it's the same that the plastic pollution, you know. I mean, you know, we'd often see birds, you know, flying by with a, a bit of plastic stuck around their necks or something, you know, that kind of way, you know, it's just, it just happens around and, you know, mm. it's just, it's just, you know, it's more to put things like that, the photographs like that is just to make people aware. You know, yeah. That's, that's all we're talking about, you know. A number of years ago, there was a seal, or it was, um, a common dolphin turned up in Skull Harbour, which was completely emaciated and it had an infection on its beak. Yeah. Uh, and basically what happened to it was that a ring, the plastic rings for holding a six-pack of cans together, yeah. was on completely over, closing its mouth completely. And it hadn't been able to feed, hadn't been able to do anything. Oh, enough. my God. And the local vet had to, uh, to euthanize the animal because there was no saving it with the infections it had and stuff, you know. Um, you couldn't so eat. The simple things that, no, 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 no. And it's the simple things, you know, that they just see that, get, get a play with it or whatever and get stuck on it. And Michal, isn't off, that, yeah. I'm saying it on this program for years, that... It's a piece of plastic that someone took to the beach to have their bit, their, their couple of cans, and instead of putting it into a pocket or a plastic bag and taking it home, they left it there. It washes yeah. out to sea. It ends up around a dolphin's nose, and the poor bugger dies of starvation, effectively. But, but you know, it's not even people going to the beaches. It's people, even in the city of Park, dropping papers, dropping ring cans, you know, on the ground, washing drains. Those drains feed straight to the rivers. They do. Rivers they do. feed straight to the sea. So, you know, even people inland don't realise, you know, the, the, the effect of the litter or, you know, yeah. I mean, look, most towns are good and, you know, the thing, but there's always a few bits around. But that's nearly always where they would end up, you know, because they go to the drains, all those drains from the streets are leading to the rivers or whatever, are leading to the sea. So, you know, I mean, there's none of us, um, I suppose, perfect and there's none of us, you know, realise the effect that we all have, you know, they're just, it's a, it's a cumulative effect. Yeah. Okay, yeah. listen, uh, Michal, thank you. By the way, I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a busy summer now that we can go on trips again. Yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's getting looking, you know, the bookings are coming in, so we're, we're thankful good. for that, you know. Good, um, good. It's been a long haul, but look, we're all in it together and we'll get there together, sure. Yeah, you know? good, yeah. good. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a great, it's a most, Baltimore is one of these places, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. Do you know, I, I like to take atheists to Baltimore on a sunny day. <laughs> And say, look out there and tell me you still don't believe in God. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's thank beautiful. You, yeah. All right. Michal, thank you very much. No, thank you so much. Cheers. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I that's I heard that story and I'm glad he told it. It's just a little dolphin. And they had found it with the can you know the ring top of the six pack, Coke or whatever you have. The ring. It got up its nose and got caught in its nose, and of course the poor thing has no hands. So it can't open its mouth, so it can't feed. Uh, so don't put those blasted things anywhere near the bin. Oh, very good. Uh, thank you, Terry. We're going directly to line two, and I'm joined by the Minister for Public Expenditure. Uh, thank you, Terry. Um, oh, Fergal just managed to nail him down for me. Thank you, uh, Michael McGrath. Uh, Minister, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, and thank you for taking our call at such short notice. The package announced yesterday, and the idea that it will get the economy flying, that's all very good, but 
people are very uncomfortable, Minister, about the property tax. Well, the full the full details of that will be set out later on today by uh, Minister Pascal Donoghue, and we are now eight years on from the valuation of properties for the local property tax. So, in essence, what will happen is the uh, values of the properties will be brought up to, to date, but to avoid big increases in the property tax that would otherwise result, uh, the bans are being expanded and the actual rate is being reduced. Uh, so most people uh, will not see any increase. Uh, a small number will get a reduction, um, but uh, about 36% of people will have some increase and the vast majority of them, it will be one band, uh, which is €90. Euro. But we just can't defer any longer the revaluation of properties. Mm. Um, it has been deferred on a number of occasions. All of the new homes built since 2013 are currently uh, outside of the local property tax net. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is an anomaly that has to be fixed. Yeah, but it's um, going to be a problem fixing it, Minister, because you've got a lot of people living in those homes who, because of the pandemic, are struggling. And they can barely meet a mortgage and a gas bill. And now they're going to be faced with, with another tax. And that's how they're going to see it. Yeah, and uh, no one likes any form of tax. But this is a tax that everybody else is paying. Uh, there are deferral options there. And we're improving the deferral options for people who can't afford to pay the local property tax. Um, so it can be uh, postponed and the income eligibility limits for that um, are being increased uh, for an individual up mm. to €18,000, uh, for a couple up to €30,000, uh, and where people have mortgages, uh, mortgage interest can be mm. taken into account as well. So those options are going to be there uh, for people. Uh, but if we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger because more and more homes that are being built are outside of the net. And, of course, property prices are rising. So the longer you defer this, then when they are eventually revalued, then people will see large increases if you didn't fix the system. So these changes are necessary. But having gone through uh, the, the range of options, um, like I, I think we've managed this as well as we possibly can. I have the table here. So 11% of people will see a decrease, 53% no change, uh, 33% will uh, increase by one band, uh, and 3% will increase by, by more than one who, band. Who will value the house? So it's the uh, it's the same as it originally operated. Uh, it is a self-valuation, but of course the revenue have access to uh, a lot of data and information from the uh, property price register and so on. And you know we are obliged as citizens to make uh, honest returns and mm. to. Give oh no! But what fair, I mean is what I mean is, Minister, if I'm if I'm assessing, if I sat down to assess myself at home. For property tax, sure, sure. I don't know what my house is worth. I have a half a notion of what my yeah. house is worth, but but how can I make a return that's a honest and b fair to myself because I don't know what it's worth? Well, the full operational uh, details will be laid out in the coming months by revenue because the valuation uh, is later in the year. But from uh, from what I recall, the last time. Uh, when this happened, certainly in, in the case of my own home, you are sent uh, evaluation by revenue, but you do have the option to vary that yourself if you believe that uh, it is inaccurate. And you, but you should base that on mm. some reason. You know, if uh, 
uh, if based on property price register information in your own area, yeah. you feel that the that it's inaccurate, you do have the option of changing it. So it is it is self assessment. Um, but I certainly recall the last time the revenue do send you uh, their estimate based on the information available to them. Will uh, will the will the will the option be still there to pay it through your monthly paycheck? Uh, yes, all of the normal payment options will be uh, retained and we are also moving to a system where uh, all of the money will be retained locally and that will take a couple of years to do. I thought that was being done already, Michael. It's not being done already everywhere at the moment. 80% of the uh, proceeds collected in the local authority area are kept in that area. 20% go into an equalisation fund, uh, which is distributed to the counties that don't collect as much money. Mm. Uh, and so that's been a bone of contention for a long time. So what we're now going to do is uh, each local authority over the next couple of years will, will retain all of the money collected in their own area. Uh, and we will still uh, do through the exchequer an equalisation fund, but that won't come from money collected uh, um, by individual local authorities, that would be done through the, the, the central exchequer. On an uh, ability to pay clause, like an old day, a couple, a, a pensioner couple in, in their house, their, their children or youngsters have, have moved on and they're still living in the house. And the house, the house is worth a lot of money, but they've only got two old age pensions coming in. They, they can't pay. Uh, and, and they don't have to pay in that they can defer it. Uh, there isn't. Uh, so when the ex- whole house is sold, it has to be paid anyway. Yeah, so that's yeah, not. There is, yeah, there isn't an exemption in that scenario, uh, PJ. But there is the option to uh, to postpone it, and uh, I accept that you know it is a burden on people, uh, but it, it is a tax on a property. It is linked to the value of the property, uh, and uh, it is uh, provided for that there is that deferral option there. We're reducing the interest rate that applies to any deferral as well. Uh, to 3% and uh, we're going to make the system as easy as we possibly can for people uh, but if, you know, it's not a system where you have widespread exemptions We're getting calls about uh, people who were paying it from the start who argued the, their, their valuation in that I'm living in number one uh, and my tax yeah. is valued and my buddy down in number six who is in the same house effectively the same house he's paying less than me like that's hardly fair. Uh, it's it's not fair, and that shouldn't be the case. And you know the onus is on all of us to make sure that the return that we make is accurate and that it reflects the market value of the property at the valuation date. And as I say, the last valuation date uh, was back in May of 2013, and so that is the value that still determines the local property tax bill. Uh, eight years later yeah, and yeah. so that is what is now uh, being updated yeah. uh, on the 1st of November and uh, the revenue will work with people on that uh, anomalies can arise yeah. but ultimately it is up to all of us we're, to we're getting calls like people whose whose neighbours filled in forms, got a revaluation got a reduction uh, it only works for the one house you see it, it, there, there are differences in, in, in roads, there are differences along the one street, along the one part of the one estate, it's not every Everybody in, you know, Murphy's Crescent 1 to 25, they're not paying the same, even though they should be paying the same. Yeah, if the houses are the same uh, or the apartments are the same, then they should be essentially paying the same local property tax liability. Uh, That is the case. And Um, and if I found I was paying more than the man in number seven for the last five years, can I get me money back? 
Uh, unlikely, I would say, uh, PJ, but you could you could make a return to revenue and, and seek to uh, change the valuation, but uh, I'm not sure that they could do so retrospectively, but yeah. I'd have to check that. Okay. Overall, looking at this package, there's a lot in it, Minister, um, yeah. but we're facing into uncertain times. We, we really have another year, definitely another six months before we put this thing behind us. Me, um, Leo Bradger has said that the economy will take off like a rocket and that the tax take from the economy... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, doing that will reduce the need for austerity. Now, there are those who'd say we're already starting austerity, but that, that's a political point. Are you, are you confident that in 12 months from now, the economy will have taken off in, in the way that Leo Varadkar is predicting it will? Yeah, all the evidence really points to a strong uh, rebound and then recovery. And look, there are always risks, PJ. I'm not going to say that there aren't risks. Mm. Uh, there are. Some of them are, you know, international and the global trading environment and so on. The biggest risk, of course, is still with COVID and uh, the risk of, you know, a variant um, coming to Ireland that, you know, is vaccine resistant, for example. But look, we don't have any evidence or indication that that is uh, the case or that that is likely to happen. So the decisions that we have made are based on the facts available to us and the information that we have. And all of the forecasts uh, are that the Irish economy will rebound quite quickly. The recovery is now underway. We're seeing businesses reopen. We're seeing people get back to work, including in hotels uh, in Cork today. And we're seeing the number of people uh, uh, unemployed falling. Mm. And that is going to accelerate in the weeks ahead. So all of the indications are that the economy is going to grow in the second half of this year. And next year, it will grow by probably over 5%. And so that gives us great uh, ability uh, to bring about uh, greater employment, yeah. uh, close the budget deficit and just make sure that we get this back on track. Michael McGrath, before you went into politics, you you are by profession a management accountant, which which means that one of the jobs that you would have done in a previous life was look at the accounts of a client company 
and say, you're in good shape, you're in bad shape, you need to watch this, you need to watch that. Speaking purely with your financial management accountant hat on, Michael McGrath, what state are we really in as we start to come out of this mess? It's manageable. It's challenging. We've taken on huge debt uh, over the course of the pandemic. Uh, Our debt will broadly have increased by about 40 billion euro, close to it, uh, between the beginning of 2020, before we had COVID, uh, to the end of this year. So we'll have gone from around 200 billion to almost 240 billion. But uh, the positive is that uh, the European Central Bank have uh, reacted very differently this time to the way they did a decade ago, and they have made uh, funding available in the market. So we can borrow essentially uh, at close to zero interest rates. So while our stock of debt is rising, uh, the cost of service in that debt continues to fall mm-hmm. uh, and the average interest rate is falling. But of course, those bonds that we're borrowing, PJ, they mature at some point, yes. uh, whether it be in 10 years' time or 15 years' time. Like, Is there a case and- to be made for this because of the nature of the crisis, we've had a financial war on our economy rather than the war. Is there a case to be made, Michael, for for the European Central Bank to issue 100-year bonds and just you don't pay a cent until well and truly this is behind us? We are beginning to see a move towards longer-term bonds and, uh, for example, bonds of up to 50 years in duration, uh, which really takes you out into a completely uh, different time horizon. Um, But typically, they are still of the order of of 10, 15 years. uh, Longer would be better, wouldn't it? uh, Longer would be better if the interest rate uh, was right. And look, from our point of view, when I look at the accounts, as you call them, and I look at the deficit. So last year, it was around 18 billion euro. Uh, This year, um, the current forecast is is similar. Um, We'll almost certainly be slightly higher because we're going to spend more money to support the economy. But the best way of closing that deficit really uh, is to help people to get back to work. And that's why we have put a real jobs focus in the package we announced yesterday. I think we probably surprised most employers positively by saying the wage subsidy scheme will be there until the end of the year, yeah. the lower VAT rate until September next year, uh, that we're giving up to €30,000 of uh, a restart payment uh, to businesses that are reopening now, uh, local authority rates waiver extended by a further yeah. three months, we're allowing them to warehouse tax liabilities um, and yesterday as well we announced, as you know, uh, how we're going to use grant funding from the EU mm. of over €900 million Euro right. and uh, and there's a, a lot in there. That, that, that there's, yeah. a, there's a lot in there, and I, I've no doubt we will return to this conversation. Thank yeah. you very much for taking our call at short notice this morning. The Minister for Public Expenditure, uh, Cork TD for Cork South Central, uh, Michael McGrath. Thank you very much, Michael. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. And yes, before anyone jumps on me and says I'm calling him by his first name, I've known the man for twenty years. What else am I going to call him? You know, <laughs> eighteen. We were on the same Lions Club. I'm going to call him by his first name. Occasionally, at least. 1850-715-996. Now, we spoke of retrofitting. And over the next number of years, we're going to see a lot of drive towards getting us to retrofit our home, to change our heating system, to change our insulation, to redo our windows, our doors, to put in these photovoltaic cells on the roof to heat our water, to change our lighting to low-energy things like LED. 
Two questions come up. First of all, how much is all that going to cost? That's for for somebody else. But for for my next guest, Declan Daly from Superhomes, it is about how do you go about getting it done? Like there's a lot there. There's a very long list. I don't even know who to phone. Declan, good morning to you. PJ, good morning, and thanks very much for having me on the show today. Yeah, program manager with, with Super Homes. You're one of these one-stop shops that we're going to see more of. But talk to me about a retrofit on a typical home. My house was built in the 90s. Like, if I wanted to retrofit, what am I looking at? Yeah, so any retrofitter client comes to us, it's always we target a fabric-first approach. So whatever your current heating systems, you talk about your house built in the 90s, um, it's really looking at how do you reduce the losses in your house. So how do you start insulating your attic or your walls? But the key is to look at it as a whole house solution and not some of individual measures. So you have to think of your house, let's say, as a leaky bucket. So how do you stop all that heat escaping? Um, so what we do in Superhomes as part of our one-stop shop approach, we help homeowners with advice. So most homeowners don't know where to start or which contractor to use or which product. So we've just um, launched a new joint venture with um, Electric Ireland. It was just announced yesterday. Um, so Tipperary Energy Agency and Electric Ireland have come together to form Electric Ireland Superhomes. So our ambition is really to retrofit 35,000 homes over the next 10 years. What we have in-house is our one-stop shop. So we would go out to the likes of your house. If you rang me in the morning, we would go out and survey your house and do a full design of what your individual house needs to get to a building energy rating, this holy grail of a B2. Mm. But but we also look to decarbonize the house at the same time. Mm. So when the government's climate action plan is to reduce um, our emissions by 7% year on year, um, we really must look at the house as a a whole house solution. So it's putting in um, usually an air-to-water heat pump and removing your fossil fuel system, be that coal, peat, turf or um, gas as well. Is it it true, Declan, that within five years you won't be allowed to put a gas boiler into a house? Yeah, for for new builds. Um, so with the current move in building regulations, um, in about two years' time, you won't be able to put in an oil boiler into a new house. And then by about five years' time, you're correct, you won't be allowed to put in a gas boiler. So you won't be complying with current building regs. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, it's quite difficult. And is there ever a black- time where I might face the prospect of having to take out my existing gas boiler and replace it with a system? Yeah, so that's the drive is to retrofit these 500,000 homes. So lots of the older homes and heating systems are quite inefficient. So when someone goes to look at replacing that, like it makes sense to look at the low carbon options in the future instead of putting in another oil boiler or gas boiler. So maybe in the future, it might be a policy where we won't be able to put in oil or gas boilers into our existing housing stock. The building regulations will control new builds but it will be more challenging how to look at that. Like there's 1.7 million habitable homes in the country. So it's a huge task, I suppose, but it's, that's our approach is to help and yeah. uh, like public awareness of what's the right thing to do. Yeah. Because a lot of people are living in cold, wet, damp yes. homes. And like 
Ireland has one of the highest risks, um, like COPD and asthma in Europe. And the reason for that is because of sick house syndrome. So we're living in a house that's underheated, um, high risk of mould and dampness. And that's why our big draw on the health service as well, that we're going in with chest infections and this side of it. So it's really to look at a house as the the whole house solution model of how do you insulate your house first? And then you put in a low carbon heating system. So the key is reduce your heat demand first as always. Doesn't matter what your heating system is. How do you keep it in the house as long as possible? So that obviously saves you money on your bills, but it's comfort, health, and mobility, like the, the three other items we always look at. Yes. I'm sure everyone has sick of cleaning up the ashes in your fireplace or your stove in the morning. Yes. And a lot of elderly people are kind of bending down and coughing and spluttering, cleaning out those ashes. So it's looking at all of these benefits of a retrofit. It's not just the, the, the climate reasons or yeah. the environment. It's 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 health yeah. to the key thing like insulation well. materials have changed no end declan and and i've i've had occasion to, we did we did a little bit of work on my place last year and there's new modern insulation materials gone into it and you wouldn't believe it like the coldest day of the year you can stand there in short sleeves with oh, the heating absolutely. off yeah, Do you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and like, that's where we all want to go. But there's an awful lot of work in an older house, isn't there, putting in new materials like that? Yeah, like the, the, there is, it's like a lot of homeowners go, well, what do I need to do to my house? I suppose that's what the individual design is. Like some of the older houses would be, I know, especially around Cork, there would be lots of the old mass concrete houses or there would even be some of the old um, red brick buildings as well. So And no cavity. Yeah, so there's different solutions. So obviously, the more modern homes, the houses built kind of after 1980, let's say, would yeah. have a cavity wall. So you could easily pump them with bonded beads. Yeah. Um, but if you're a solid wall property, then you need to look at... This wraparound either, stuff, isn't it? Yeah, external wall insulation or else uh, internal. Yeah. Obviously, there's a bit of disruption on both. If you're doing internal, you lose a bit of space off the house, but inside um it's all looking at the correct solution for that house so outside can be a bit tricky then if you're onto an open street like all these houses in the city center or town centers there's sometimes um planning obligations as well you have to conform with on correct material so that's why like we're set up in electric island super homes as that trusted independent advisor because there's lots of things me and you don't know about different topics, so people need to go to someone that is doing this every day of the week. Yes, and it's like, yes. Well, so, so I would my house, for example, would be, would be visited by one of your engineers. I'd get a calculation and a cert of my BER. Then you put a plan together to tell me what I need to get to the B something rating. And then, do you do? Do you apply for all the grants for me and all of that, and and and, and then give me a price? So, how does that work? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the, the one-stop shop, so a homeowner goes to the likes of us, the one-stop shop, and we handle the whole process from start to finish for that client. So as I said, our engineer would go out and survey it and do a roadmap of what you need to do to your house to get it to B2, but use a cost-optimum study. So be doing things that actually make sense for you as the homeowner. Like, yeah. Like some, some houses, like, if you're going to start rooting out in old houses, to put in things like heat pumps and you just insulate the house and try to put in a heat pump. There's major work there, Declan. 
Yeah, like this, some of the newer houses, we call them plug-and-play heat pumps. You can almost do some attic and wall insulation and put in a heat pump where your oil boiler was. It's an easy job. Some of the older houses do need a higher level of work, especially external wall insulation or change the windows and out, out. But as part of the process, like we would do all that design, then we would go back to the homeowner with a plan of what would actually undertake. And then we have a list of approved contractors we use around the country. So we would handle all the tendering process and go back to yourself and go on here. We believe the job will cost X. We can draw down grants of Y from SEI. Yes. And then when we would do some project management of the work when it would happen, and we would do all the grant process. It's basically removing all that hassle for the home. And I would literally just 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 pay pay you the balance. In, in terms of of estimates, Declan, I, I know it probably do, you know from house to house. But there's a lot of people like where we were living, where I'm talking to them right now. There are a lot of very old houses here. Say a three bed semi built as far back as the the 1970s, the 1950s, or the 1960s. You know, to get it up to the B standards, to put in the wraparound, to put in the, the heat pump. Like, what kind of money are you talking about? 10,000, 20,000, 30,000? Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's a fair question. It's kind of how long is a piece of string in a house. It, it, like, when we, we've been doing this now since um, 2015, all of these deep retrofits and this new giant venture is ready to kick on the plan. But it's too, the average cost we find to do these older houses would be in the region of that kind of 50,000. But after grants, it would be down to close to 35,000. Right. Uh, but some of the newer houses where you literally wouldn't be changing your windows and doors because you just do a bit of maintenance maybe to the seals and hinges and it'd be fine for another five or 10 years. Um, it's the older housing stock. like That's the challenge. And that's what, mm. the, the, like there's some of the, the E's, and G's on the BER scale. Yeah. Um, like, of, of course, they're going to be more expensive because they're solid walls. So external insulation is obviously more expensive than just pumping the wall. Yeah. Um, but to look at, OK, how much are you saving on your energy bills over time to help pay that back? Like just yesterday, it was publicly announced that this new state aid backed loan system, which people can avail of an interest rate of about three and a half percent. So like. When you look at your heating bill of your home, some people might be paying an average of fifteen hundred euro a year. Yeah, and and would a, would a wraparound and and a heat pump and stuff like w- would that bring a house up from G to B? It, it would, yeah. So the key, as I said at the start, is insulated first because a heat pump works on lower heat demand. So the key is insulation first, but it would like a heat pump is about 350 to 400% efficient. When you think of your oil or gas boiler at home, it's probably somewhere about 60 to 70% efficient. I see, I see. So in our assessment we do, we do that roadmap to see where your starting point is and what you need to get to that B2. So it's it's looking at all the different solutions between, like you start with the low hanging fruit is normally your attic insulation. But heat always rises, like through the home. Mm. You make sure your attic is done first, and then you look at the other elements, so your wall insulation, then maybe your windows and doors, and then mm. we look at air tightness. So how do you get rid of all those little drafts through your mm. letterbox or up yeah. through your old fire? Yeah, so Like you don't want the heat escaping that quick, 
Yeah, and then that is stuff that you could kind of do on a DIY basis and and and, and cut your costs. Uh, but but yeah, some of it you're yeah. going to you're going to need the specialists. Yeah, absolutely. But most people, yeah, like it's most people DIYers can do it themselves. But I suppose we're talking at all the homes. Like it's the we're planning to do thirty five thousand. Obviously, the government policy is half a million. Most people, the DIYers, might be the five percent of homeowners that can mm. do some of themselves but it's to make sure it's done right as well like it's mm. that expertise that you bring in that yeah. you try to do it all together in one solution instead of being piecemeal yeah right. last lastly and, and briefly Declan and again it refers to older houses here I heard the expression uh, long ago my grandmother got rested and others like her would say that wall needs to breathe otherwise you'll get damp on the inside Absolutely, yeah. So some of the old, um, you know, the stone rubble walls, they would have been uh, lime rendered originally. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where our expertise come in. So there's a correct solution for every wall type. So you mightn't put a traditional um, external wall product on that. You have to look at more of a breathable natural product like a wood fiber board or something that allows the wall to breathe. You still insulate it, but... You have to make sure that you don't cause adverse effects by yeah. something else you do. It's, it's, it's a horses for courses solution, which is why I guess there are one-stop shops like yourself. I'm going to leave it there because it's a fascinating subject. I'm sure we'll talk again. Declan Daly is the programme manager with Super Homes. You'll find their website. This is where we're headed, lads. Thank you, Declan. This is where we're headed over the last number of years. Um, the idea that you have to go into debt for it is not going to sit well with a lot of people. But this is where we are headed 1857 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. I just deep retrofitted my suburban house. It was built in 1935 and it cost 100k to retrofit. It's not stone or anything. It did bring me from C3 to A, but I'd hate to be trying to bring a house from G to A or B. Maybe a lot of houses can be done for 50K, but a lot can't too. The deep retrofit package for the grants, etc., has to be all or nothing as well. You can't just say new windows and doors, but I leave off the heat pump. And in my case, we had to be triple glazed. The one question that that Maybe the caller could message us back. Of the 100K caller, was that after grant or pre-grant? Or do you know, was it Fergal, you took the call? Was that after, oh, mother of God, that was after the grant? It cost 100K. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, let us just look at... There's a, is, that, is that a splink of sunshine I see starting to appear through the clouds? 
because today was supposed to be a bit of a, a dull, rotten old day, but it doesn't seem to be as dull and rotten as we thought it might be. Let me have a look at the ever-reliable dark sky. And that says to me, for the rest of the day, a mm, bit of rain around lunchtime, and then overcast for the rest of the day. Tomorrow, Thursday, meh, not great. Friday, meh, not great. Saturday, nice and sunny, temperature 18. Sunday will be the best day of the weekend. Temperature around 17, 18 degrees, bit of sunshine, 4% chance of shower, and bank holiday Monday, looking very promising. But looking into next week, into this day week, we're looking at being in the low to mid-twenties. So there's a bit of decent weather, a bit of half-decent June weather are coming our way, according to the ever-reliable Dark Sky app. I've been running it alongside the one that so many other people are using at the moment, which is YRNO. It's the Norwegian one, and that is very, very good. Very good. But I think I still find Dark Sky more reliable. It's a matter between the two of them, really. But the weather today... It looks like it's going to improve tomorrow and Friday. A bit meh, a bit meh, and then Saturday and and then uh, Sunday and Monday be the best days of the long weekend. I'm done today for the long weekend, uh, so hopefully the weather will hold for me over the next few days. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I mentioned that there were some wonderful scenes, scenes of joy and a, and and celebration in the hotels of. Cork City County and around the country this morning as they prepare to open for the return from lockdown. And there's a, a lot of different changes that had to be made. There's a lot of provisions put in place for health and safety of the public. A bit like what we had last summer when the hotels opened. But good to have them open again from today. Neil Grant is down in West Cork Beautiful Ross Carberry, the Celtic Ross Hotel. Neil, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You're you're active on social media, so so we know that it's been getting <laughs> to you being closed and having yeah. to walk into an empty hotel and out of an empty hotel every day. This must be a great day for you. It's a great day. It really is. Um, I think, to, to be honest, the, the last week you've been in a wave of emotions. There's days that you you know it's uh, it's almost semi-emotional that you'll you'll be getting open. And I think walking out the the door last night when I thought to myself, uh, from now on in, hopefully there'll be guests in that hotel. It's it's a good feeling, but uh, uh, but yeah, there's a bit of nervousness. There's definitely excitement, but uh, I think once we've got the first guest walk in the door shortly, then I think we'll be we'll be rocking and rolling. We'll be good to go. Are you busy? We are. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, I mean, look, we it was handy uh, being able to open Wednesday, Thursday. We've got kind of the occupancy, uh, you know, the next two days, which is perfect for the team to find their way in. Uh, the bank holiday weekend is, is nearly sold out. I think there's still a couple of rooms. And then we're taking an easy week next week where we're just kind of gauging the occupancy day by day just to, again, just check we're up to speed and then it'll be full tilt from then on. So, yeah, I mean, July, August, they're sitting in the 90%. Uh, I mean, we are in a restricted. We've reduced our rooms from 66 to 58 rooms just mm. to make sure that there's no overcrowding. So we are those occupancies are based on a reduced capacity, but at the same time, it's busy. and more Still very promising, it. Neil, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think it's funny. I chatted to a Dublin hotelier this time last year when we were reopening, and, and he said it, it could be a bit of a false start because because you're in the destination you are. You're, you're, you go from zero to 90, and 
you know, in seconds and you're, you know, you're rocking and then it's what happens after that. So mm. we still, we've got that again this year, you know, how will September, October, November be, you know, how will the overseas business bounce back? Will the Irish market go overseas? So you've still got that unknown in the questions, but there's no doubt, I mean, thank goodness, we've, we've got a June that we thought we might not have because I didn't really foresee us opening as early in June. So that's a bonus. Uh, July and August are strong. So, look, we've we've certainly caused for optimism. Yeah. In terms of, and obviously for guests, there's one set of rules. Guests can eat and drink inside uh, as of yeah. as of today. But you also down there, of course, have an extensive outdoor area. You have a big car park and stuff. Yeah. Are, are you able to open then from next Thursday for outdoor for the general public? Yeah, what we're doing, um, we've got a lovely big patio outside our Kingfisher Bar and Bistro, which is our our main dining area in the hotel. So we will be opening reservations for for non-residents. But obviously, uh, because, you know, we've got a lot of residents in-house, we'll just have a, you know, a slight capacity thing there. But we will open some reservations for for non-residents, absolutely, which Mm. is great. It'd be nice to have them back. And we also have a food truck, uh, which at the moment is, is operated throughout lockdown, throughout the the winter it was open at the weekends and it's now open five days a week. Oh, brilliant! Well, 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 one thing oh, one thing yeah. about that hotel anyway is you're famous for your food and rightly so. So, yeah. Um, oh, thanks, Neil. Your leisure centre, Neil. Yes. Can you open that? Uh, we are. Jeez, uh, you put me in the spot. I think the leisure centre is from the seventh, so we're allowed to have the leisure centre open for residents only. I understand for the next few days. And then uh, I think it's from the uh, the same day as the outdoor dining, we can open it for our members. So then our members are, are, are good to come in then, which is great because they've stuck with us. And then what we'll do thereafter is we'll just gauge it for the summer, how much capacity we then have. Obviously, the leisure centre is, you know, the capacity is tiny compared to what it used to be. So we probably won't be able to take the same level of uh, pay as you go. Trade. Uh, mm. We try and we'll try and safeguard it for our hotel residents and our members first, and then any gaps will open to you know the, the holiday homes and such like right. in the area. Um, but we don't have uh, we'll not have the sauna or steam room open to start with. Uh, okay. It'll purely be the pool, and it's one to one. You know, there's no kind of group uh, training or, or classes or such All like right. indoors. So. Neil, I wish you and everybody in the trade. Everybody, the best of luck for today and for the rest of the summer. And I'll see you across the across the, the, the summer season at some stage, even for a, a feed of fish and chips. Thanks, Neil. Neil Grant uh, from the Celtic Ross Hotel in beautiful Ross Carberry in wonderful uh, West Cork. It's just great to see them open again today. And I know it's a risk. And I know we've got to be careful. There's a set of rules. I'll go through them in a minute, uh, the rules and regs. They're fairly similar to last year. But let's go to staying in... Staying in West Cork, let's go to Dribble League and to David Ross, who's at the top of the Rock Pod Park and Walking Centre. David, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. And it's a great honour to be on your programme. It is great to have you. And on on what is a happy day for the trade? Indeed, a very happy day. And um, we've been waiting for it for quite a while. But, you know, it's just wonderful to see the people's um, desire to get going and get out and enjoy the, the fresh air. And we're looking forward to welcoming uh, the people this afternoon. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you offer down there. So what we have is we have seven glamping pods. We uh, we put these in place in 2013. Um, we have seven camping pitches where people bring their own tents. Each pitch has electricity. And we have three camper van spaces. So effectively, it's a, it's a micro little camping site. 
And it, the best thing is it's situated on a working farm. We've got suckler cows and uh, we're, our farm, little small farm, runs down to the banks of the Island River, just back of Drummond League. Most people who pass through Drummond League, they don't realise the remarkable, beautiful scenery that's just to the north of the village. And mm. uh, so there we are. over The, the river. The, you're, you're, you've, you've solved something for me. I, I always ask the question, is it Illin or Island? Oh, yes. Tis Island, Tis the Island River. It is. <laughs> yeah, our, uh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So you, you obviously you've had to make changes and and make preparations to to stick with the public health regulations. Has that been expensive to prepare for? Well, you know, it has, and there's no doubt about that. But most of those changes, those major changes with regard to signage and buying all the cleaning equipment and the, all the, the usual sanitizers and all. Most of that was done last last June, whenever we were opening up for last summer. So this year, we just had to refresh all that, refill everything. But the signage and everything was there. Um, so effectively, we were so thankful that we were able to open last summer. Um, and it was a wonderful summer. And so, look, the government very kindly gave a grant towards that last year mm. and um, we were able to do all that so we're we're well set up and ready for action and everything mm. is shining, sparkling. And are the calls like coming Elizabeth. in? Uh, sorry? Are the calls coming in? We're not short of calls I'll tell you that. We have, we are we are actually solidly booked until the last day of August. Oh, Jenny, David, that's fantastic. Well, I thank God uh, because uh, you know, it was a difficult winter to be. We're, we're a place that opens, we remain open all the year round. And of course, we haven't had any people since last um, December, except for one or two essential um, hospital workers and so on. Yeah. So, but you know, whenever FOTA and Leahy's and places like that opened up on the 27th of April, we saw a little opportunity. So we, we ran our very popular farm tours and farm picnics. Excellent. And we had six tours every day. Uh, Tuesday through sat to Saturday, and uh, and then we had school tours and play school groups and a few birthday parties as well, all outdoor, of course, and all in small numbers. Mm-hmm. And that really, um, that was great. It, it kept us going for those two months. You know? oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, it's great to see such optimism coming um, from the sector as you prepare to open up again. David, thank you very much. That's David Ross at Top of the Rock Pod Park and Walking Centre in gorgeous Drimmer League in the heart of West Cork and it is the island, not the illin. I've been mistake, making that mistake a few of us for years. Can I just, actually I heard the photo people in the news at 11 and can I just very personally say because he's thrown the doors open there today and will be standing there in his top hat and tails and uh, good wishes and best of luck to concierge John, John the concierge John Coleman who departed the Metropole a few weeks ago and is heading down uh, to be head concierge and concierge manager with FOTA and uh, best of luck to John. He's become a good pal over the last number of years. And if there's a man out there who knows better about it to deliver customer service at the highest level, I've yet to meet him. Good man, John, and best of luck. 1850-715-996. Just in terms of the changes and what you can expect when you go to a hotel, it'll be very much like last summer, except that you will have to wear the face covering at all times when you're using indoor facilities. Unless you sit down to eat or to have a drink, you've got to wear the face covering, going to, rece- going to reception, going to the toilet, 
just making your way around the hotel, even sitting reading a book in reception, I believe you will have to have a face covering, which is a little uncomfortable, but look, that's where we are. The carveries and buffets will be open only when physical distancing is possible. You've got to wear the face covering when you're queuing up, for example, for your buffet breakfast. Uh, all the individual little buns and bread, that's all wrapped. I had that experience last summer. It's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Uh, six adults and teenagers max allowed per table. Uh, you'll have to pre-book tables for eating. Maximum period of 105 minutes if the tables are one metre apart. You know the seven. No time limit for two metres apart. Uh, no live music, no loud music. The bar is back, but table service only, and you must be off the premises by 11.30, including the lobby of the hotel. Uh, As regards events, and this, and look, we were trying to go through the book last week, myself and Terry and Fergal, trying to go through the book to find out what is the situation with regard to to music and entertainment. Uh, From June 7th, you can have 25 guests at a wedding. But... We're still not sure if you can have music because it's very unclear. Music is not allowed in the hotel bar. Music is not allowed out the back if you happen to have a beer garden for pubs, for example, when they open outdoors next week. Music is not allowed indoors or outdoors from next week. But if you've got a function in a hotel, are you allowed to bring in some music? And the truth is we actually don't know for sure because it's really, really unclear. And it's something that's going to have to be researched and looked into. Come here, I mentioned the weather forecast. I mentioned the weather forecast and Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather has just tweeted in the last while the weather for next week looks really, really good. He uses uh, a couple of different computer models and he has pictures up of high pressure building next week and some real heat he said, it's a little bit too far out to be absolutely certain, but it's looking good. So, nice on Sunday, decent on Monday, but coming up towards the middle of next week, according to Alan O'Reilly at Carlo Weather, and we know how good he is, and he's pretty good. Very promising weather for next week. 1857 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Prince Harry has admitted that he's bonded with Orlando Bloom because of the paparazzi. It's a very strange thing to bond over, like, and uh, I assume every single celebrity has the same thing in common. Do people take photographs of you when you're walking with an ice cream? Yeah, they do. <laughs> do they do like you as well? They do, but yeah, do you not like it? I don't like it at all. Sometimes I do like it when I've got a book to sell. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at nildc.com. Corks 96 FM. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Corks 96 FM. There's a text in, just curious as to why you have to wrap buns. You have to still handle them, even if they have plastic wrapping. What's the point except adding to the plastic wrapping addiction? I did notice that last year in a hotel that I stayed in, actually. 
stayed in the, the Gresham on the O'Connell Street in Dublin and um, came down for breakfast, which, by the way, is a hell of a lot uh, more reasonable to stay in these days than it used to be. So it's not a hoisy-toisy place anymore. It's just a grand, efficient hotel. But came down for breakfast in the morning and everything, all the little croissants and little... They're all in little bags, little plastic bags. Now, there is a kind of a plastic that's biodegradable, um, but I don't know whether these were... But I was just going through it, and when we, by the time we'd finished the breakfast, there was bags here and plastic there and bits of it there and here, and all the cutlery comes in the plastic. <laughs> right, we're, we're, we're keeping ourselves safe from the pandemic, but, but we're kind of adding to the plastic. But look, it is what it is, and it was what it was. 1850-715-996. Right, we have just... Thank you, Fergal, has been doing a little bit of a little bit of work on that bands thing at weddings in the last couple of minutes. He's had a scan through all the rules and regs and I think he's heard one of the ministers saying it as well. Uh, there will be no bands at weddings. No bands at weddings in at least July anyway. Not too sure about August. But no bands at weddings for the foreseeable. 1850. It'll be reviewed in... We'll, I'll check that in a It'll be reviewed in the light of some data. But at the moment, no wet bans at weddings at all, as of today. 1850-715-996. We know from the document, the government document, that, OK, the hotels are opening from today. Outdoor hospitality, then, from the 7th of June, uh, from Monday. So we'll have outdoor services from restaurants and bars on Monday, as you drive around, uh, go to Douglas Road, you'll see they're doing huge work at the uh, Briar Rose, for example. And Barry's are putting in lovely pods out the back. I'm just talking about Douglas because where I live. And out in Jono's, they've got loads of provision out the back for seats and stuff. Not too sure what they're at in the South County, but they do have a beer garden and they're, they're doing something with it. So, lots of places working on opening up outside from the 7th of June. And look, the argument has been had. And lost, unfortunately, for some, that it's not it's not fair that the hotels can open today and nobody else can open until Monday. That, that argument has been had and lost. That horse has bolted. Perhaps the Restaurants Association will go with their, with their legal challenge. But if they do, they do. And we'll talk about it then, but not now. But one city councillor has put his head above the parapet and called for reopening to happen straight away, and that in actual fact, outdoor hospitality should be able to start from this Friday to counteract the crowds that we saw in the streets last weekend. It's not going to happen. You know that, don't you, Councillor Ken O'Flynn? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, I'm I'm forever an optimist, so, you know, I, I always believe that perhaps common sense might... Uh, land upon a minister's head at some stage, you know, no matter how late it is. Um, look, the reality is is that we have a huge problem in our city. We have our staff working from 7am to 10 o'clock at night, 364 days a year. That's the cleansing staff. They do take the day off on Christmas Day. They're doing a fantastic job. Uh, I spoke to the Director of Services during the week. We've agreed that we would uh, up the staff level and we would also increase the changing of bins uh, from the average of two times in the city centre to four to six uh, depending on the need uh, and the assessment of the need a day particularly over this weekend look the reality is is that the 
I, I drove through the city. I actually was in Douglas on 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 my rare visit at the south side. I was in Douglas. Uh, on to get your passport side. stamped. I, I did. I did. I came across the bridge and they said, "What are you going over here for?" And uh, but. I was coming back from Douglas and drove through the city centre. And what amazed me was the level of people that were out. I passed Kennedy's Key. I saw the, the, the huge crowds that were there at Albert's Key as well. Um, the huge crowds that were in the city centre, the bins overflowing because they had, could, they had reached maximum capacity. Uh, I had received texts during that day and that evening from people saying, look, I was in town, I was caught short. There was no public toilets available to me or I had to walk uh, a very far distance to, to find a public toilet. I believe you could abate all those nuisances very, very quickly by opening up um, outdoor dining immediately. And I'll be honest with you, Peter, whoever came up with the plan of opening it after a long uh, a bank holiday weekend um, would want their head examined. Like, there seems to be very little... But the reason for that was, I suppose, Ken, to, to stop the, the beer gardens getting wedged on a bank holiday weekend... And just take it gradually. We're, like we're well, being, we're I, I being told much, about. I would much prefer to see PJ fellas sitting in a beer garden where it's a controlled environment, where they're not dealing out with slabs and slabs of beer or whatever they're drinking down on the keys, sitting on top of one another. Remember now a beer garden, and I, I saw the videos from Murphy's Rock last night. Uh, as, uh, that looks fabulous. In um, magnificent what they've done, how they've separated their tables, how they're keeping people. Look, the reality is. You know, you know the old saying is that if you go into an off license and you spend fifty euros on beer and you bring it home, you could be drinking until four or five o'clock in the morning. If you're inside in a pub, you have your fifty euros and it's spent and it's gone. You're in a controlled environment, and a barman is able to say, "Listen, lad, you're over. You, you're you're after overdoing it. You're eighty six tonight. Go on away home." Those controls are in place. You're not littering. You're not dumping your plastic glasses into the river or, or leaving bags of cans behind you. Uh, in areas mm. and that's the reality of it and when you have a controlled environment where food is served where you have proper staff where you have security people that works and that controls people better at the moment what we're seeing in Kennedy Key and what we're seeing in, in different areas of the city at Bellsfield all the rest of it is people sitting on top of one another yeah. people mixing in different groups yeah. which is far worse to my mind than it is well, we, we, we have two problems our, here one, we, we, have the, we have the public health doctors, uh, including the chief medical officer, Dr. Houlihan, and his team, advising the government on where to go with regard to public health, and the government then taking that advice on board. But you have a huge cohort of people just completely ignoring it and piling on top of each other on the keys. Correct. Uh, and look, we can be playing blame games and people run different radio stations, probably including your own, in the last couple of days, saying it's all young people. It's not. It's people my age, your age, and yeah, younger right there. and older than us um, that are going down to the Keys. It's it's not an age profile. It's not teenagers that we're dealing with in the city that a guard can put into the back of the car and take them back home to his mother and father. It's people that are over 18 and, and some people that are well over 18. And that's the reality of it. Look, people are going to do what they're going to do now at the moment. We're, we're at the situation where we're 13 months into lockdown. People are sick of it. People are bored of it. Um, we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel because people are getting their vaccinations, etc. And, you know, we have to deal with that as well. Like, if we take all the advice that we're getting from the clinical psychologists, from the sociologists, we're not designed as a people. People are not designed for isolation. Well, we know, and that, we, we, and we know all doing, that, but there's a pandemic. You know what I mean? Yes. 
yeah, I, I accept that. And I think that it would, wouldn't would we be far better off having controlled, safe environments where tables are metres a, a metre and a half to two metres apart, where you have controlled um, bar management, where you have security teams, etc., and you don't have people up on top of one another yeah. rather than sitting along the quay, rather than the dirt and filth that we've seen of the city uh, because of the... Yeah. Uh, the people with the takeaway points and people with the takeaways well, with the takeaway you, You're asking for it to happen. I think we both know it probably won't, Ken. But one, one thing that is going to happen is that well, common the... Common sense isn't that common when it comes to the government. <laughs> you know that. The Port of Cork has announced that it's going to close off its keys over the weekend. Now, that's grand in that it'll make the keys safer, but it, it, it's going to create another problem. Where are these people going to go? But do you well, support you know, the closing off of those keys? Well, that's that's always the problem. You know, when we've, in City Council, when we've closed off laneways and we've closed off um, antisocial area places where we've where where we where there has been antisocial behaviour and we've closed those off and we've 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 closed off rathons. What generally happens is that people move to a different direction. So what we're probably going to see is our parks, the Bells Field, uh, the lock, and we'll see a repeat of people moving to different areas or else into the city centre island itself. Uh, and I I'm very concerned about that because the movement of people, um, you know, the Peace Park, etc. I, I coming over myself from the city on Saturday and it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon uh, driving over through the, through the city I noticed the amount of people walking through the streets looking at telephones drinking on the streets uh, which not, by the way noticed, is illegal not taking, not taking notice of the traffic drinking well, in the street is drinking illegal drinking in the street is illegal and I brought this up with actually the chief superintendent the other day at a community forum meeting and there between the rock and the high place or the, the rock and the hard place because, yes, the bylaw is there for drinking in the streets is illegal. The problem that they have is that pubs are, have, under their legislation, have the right to sell takeaway pints. Now, how do you police all of that? Do you go off and you can't close the pubs that are, that are selling these takeaway pints and disappoint with a lot well, of Well, you could have, but they decided not to. Well, I have to say I'm very disappointed with a lot of the vintners in the city, I have to say, um, who, who, who have decided well, to open they, they, and, Hang and on, Ken, they just did you know, what they're entitled to do. If, if, if you wanted to stop it... Let's, let's, well, let's call a spade a spade. If you wanted to stop it, they could have stopped it. legislation should be put in place. You're right, PJ. If they wanted to stop it, they could have stopped it, and they never, they the, never did. The Gardaí, the Gardaí couldn't stop it because they have the right to sell takeaway out of their pubs. Mm. Right? And that that's right wasn't right. taken that's, away from them because you'd have some that's nonsense right. that you, you'd, they'd be going about off licenses, then you see you had a right. whole that's legal right. argument. Ken, I'm going to leave it there. You're hoping it'll open? I don't think it will. I'm hoping somebody will listen to common sense. All right. Thanks very much. Ken O'Flynn, uh, independent city councillor, looking to have the uh, pubs and restaurants open outdoor, outdoors. Not on the 7th, which is Bank Holiday Monday, but on the Friday, or maybe even the Saturday, kick off the Bank Holiday weekend. Can't see it happening myself. Thank you to the listener who went through the costs of a retrofit. Um, Fergal, could you possibly print that for me rather than me read it off the screen because the screen might move in the middle of it. Maybe print it and I'll try and get to it before we quit. This whole uh, retrofit stuff and they'll tell you about grants and they'll tell you about surveys and they'll tell you about low-cost loans and all this. It's going to be bloody expensive. There's no putting a tooth in it. This retrofitting is going to cost an absolute fortune. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Courts 96 FM. Those brollies are up on Princess Street and before, they're, they're gorgeous looking. They're wonderful and really bright and colourful and you'd hope that they won't blow away in the first storm but we'll stay positive as best we can. We'll be going down there before the end of the show uh, with Fiona Corcoran to, to check it out. They're there. But before we do any of that, and I also want to get through that list of... all co- oh, the costs are eye-watering of this retrofit stuff. I have a beautiful book in my hand. It's a lovely book. It's called Shadow. And it's a story of a dog. And uh, I'm going to line one... Well, the lines up when they're in. This was written by uh, Daniel Stewart O'Donoghue, Daniel McCarthy and Kyle Higgins. And they were all mentored by their teachers, including Phil O'Flynn at uh, the uh, Terence McSweeney College, one of the great schools in our city. It's a beautiful book. It's, it's, it's a story about a dog and it's beautifully put together and beautifully illustrated. And there, I, 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 if that is Shadow... In the pictures, what an absolutely stunningly beautiful dog. It's just a lovely book. And I'll go first to Phil O'Flynn, who's uh, one of the teachers up at uh, Terence McSweeney. Uh, Phil, good morning to you. Good morning, and thank you for those kind words about our school. Ah, it um, is. Listen, you're at a school that is so ahead of its time for years. Uh, I've always been admired what you do, and this book is no exception. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like, I've had great fun working on this project with the boys. Uh, you get to talk to them, them themselves there now in a minute. But um, it's been a fantastic journey with them. I'd be wonderful as well to have a book that's set in Ochmahini with all the familiar streets, familiar to these boys to walk every day. And, you know, when you when you get to read it fully, you know, the dog is on Harborview Road. This dog is highly emotionally intelligent. It actually sorts out bullying incidents before the, the adults need to get involved. And, you know, it's he's like a bridge, really, the dog between the, the boys and an adult world. But um, the boys themselves will be able to tell you how they came up with the idea. Yeah. So and also I, I, how I, they developed the characters. They all had their own favourite characters and they all contributed different ideas to the book. They'll explain to their know themselves okay. in a minute. I'm, ju- I'm just bringing, them, bringing them all in. I have Kyle Higgins online to Hey, Kyle. Hi. I made congratulations on the book. What age are you? I'm 13. You're 13, and let's bring in Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Hi. Hi. What age are you, mate? Uh, I'm 13. You're 13, and there's another Daniel, Daniel McCarthy. How are you, sir? Um, I'm good. Another 13-year-old? Yeah. Good lad. Right, so who's going to tell me the story of the book? Would you like to try that? Kyle, you take that one. Um, the story of the book is basically about a dog who comes to knock me in because that's where... We live, and um, he's like a hero of the book. Right. And whose dog is he? Um, in the book, he's mine, Daniel's, and the other Daniel's. Right, right. Now, Daniel Stewart, um, the connection with Terence McSweeney? Uh, what, what was that? Is there a connection? To the, we heard that Terence McSweeney wrote a story. Oh, this, oh, sorry, I, my notes are wrong here. So you guys wrote the story about this dog who becomes a guardian angel. So tell me about that. Uh, the dog is a, it's a Belgian Malinois and like he's basically, he's a made-up dog in the story. Like, right. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and he's very anti-bullying, isn't he? Daniel McCarthy. Um, yeah. 
The dog said, hero is not Mahini. He always um, stops and keeps from being bullied. Right, right. So he's a real dog. Whose dog is he? Jake Orange. Um, he's Jake's dog. I got you. I got you. Because there's, lo- there's pictures in the book of a lo- really lovely dog. There's pictures and cartoons and, and drawings. So he comes to Nachnahini and becomes a guardian angel. Yeah. And he lives with two of the boys. Yeah. And and what kind of things does he do around the place? Um, well, he often goes outside for walks and if he, um, if he sees any person being bullied, he'll go straight up to the person being bullied and comfort him. I see. I see. And what's this about chicken? Um, he he once um, saw Sunday chicken and actually took it and then went into my backyard in the book and met um, loads of uh, other animals like um, my pet lizard who died about a year ago called Doctor and my pet tortoise. You had a pet lizard? Yeah. Okay. D- Daniel Stewart, the, the bullying message is important in the book, isn't it? Yeah, very important. Yeah, like have you guys, you're all there, three or four 13 year olds, you've all come across bullying, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. the past, and yeah, I, I, I've come across it in primary and everything. Yeah. And dogs, dogs don't like to see people being hurt. So that's what this is about, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's, so, so talk to me about writing the book. You wrote the story first. And you put it all together. You put it all together yourselves, didn't you? Yeah. Well, but basically, we were uh, we were reading a book above in the library, and uh, then Kyle Liggins he uh, he was thinking about making a book, and he said, "Can we make a book?" And Mr. Flynn was like, "Yeah, no bother." And then we sat to make it, and we were up there every Monday right. making the book, like, and yeah. And Kyle, where did you get the idea to make a book? Where did you get the idea from? I actually no. We were just reading Black Beauty, and it kind of got very boring. And then I just it came to my mind: could we make a book like that? What and boring? <laughs> now, Black Beauty, Black Beauty, a famous book about a horse. Uh, so you decided to write a famous book about a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Who did all the pictures? Um. The, well, the photography was by a photographer, but the, the drawings were by Daniel McCarthy. Very good. Well done, Daniel. And and. Like there's loads of different parts in Ochnahini in it. Yeah. What what parts did you did you focus on? Um. So up by the entrance of the meadows. Yeah. Um, the antenna. Yeah. And antenna. the complex down the back of the school. Yeah. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a lovely photograph that I that you've called after the storm. Is that you guys all sitting around? Yeah. And this beautiful, beautiful dog. That is that shadow? Is it the one by the fire? The one by the fire, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you all, do, do, do any of you actually have dogs or? Um, I used to. You used to. And that's young Daniel there. You have, you have a dog, have you? Yeah, my dog is almost the same age as me though. She's um, just, she's 12 years old. Right. And what's her name? Um, her name's Happy. Happy. And talk to me about having a dog as a best friend, because that's important. Your dog is your best friend, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. It's really good to have a dog in your life. It's really, really important. And, you know, 
And it, lads, this is such a lovely project. It really is. And well done to you. And you can all say, when, when you're older, you can say that you all wrote, you wrote your first book at the age of 13. It's, it's fantastic. Fantastic to see it. Uh, come back, come back to, to, to Phil there. A lot of work went into this. Four lads oh, come up with an idea. Such fun, you know. Um, I mean, the boys actually have an idea for a sequel, you know, whereby they actually think for the emotional uh, worth of it that Shadow might go missing for a little while because he's kind of burdened by so many of his responsibilities. Yeah. But um, what we did every Monday was actually we sat in the JCSP library and the JCSP librarian actually sponsored this project for it to be published but we would sit and we would gather ideas and the three boys uh, I took the class over actually when the teacher was out for uh, you know was out sick and I, I said I'd step into that class and uh, basically that's when Kyle said this is boring I hate this book can we write a book about a dog and they would share ideas then together and sometimes they would have different ideas and conflicting ideas as well and I think the book actually really bridges their world in that the sense, you know, they are really enjoying the dog and I suppose the world of it, more of a child. And then, of course, there are very touches in the book where the boys are, you know, experimenting with uh, sneaking out at night and, you know, getting to know other people. And, you know, Shadow is watching out for them and all of this. And I think, that, you know, I think what's really great message is that, you know, Shadow sees through the real nature of all the children he meets. And I think there's a message in there for adults, actually, that, you know, sometimes, you know, not to judge a book by its cover, yeah. and that sometimes the vulnerability of the child or the vulnerability of the person yeah. is just beneath the surface. And yeah. I think for 13-year-old boys to be able to... Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we should not forget, these are first years, like, and I'm just looking at the... Lads... Did you write the story yourselves? Did you the uh, the text? Is that your all all your own writing? Um, no, but um, we. Um, our teacher, There's a bit closer to the phone there for me, Daniel. Um, our teachers typed out all the words for us, but we um, came up with a lot of the stories. I see, I see, and what, writing and reading books set where you live. That's important. Like, would would you read more books if they were written about where you live? Yeah. Yeah. They're all they're all gone very nervous on me, Phil. Yeah, I think I think as well. You know that it's overwhelming to be on the radio at thirteen. Um, I think sometimes you'd be nervous at twice that age. But I I would say as well that I think it's very important that a book is set in Nottingham, a very positive story. Yes. Um, it's a very positive uh, message. I think this is a community that's totally regenerating in every sense of the word. And then we have three boys who are very, very different characters who managed to collaborate on this book. Yes. And, you know, in a sense, it's a huge achievement. And yes. like, the ideas were all theirs because I remember at one point I didn't want any gang in the book and they were saying, well, you're making the book too goody-goody now, you know. There has to be, yeah, there, there has, has to be a bad be, guy in here. Like There <laughs> has to be Big Bad Barry, and was actually Kyle came up with that name as well. So, I mean, in a sense, like, I got a huge insight into their world and, yeah. and what what were the important issues of their world. Yeah. And I was you, so delighted that this book has been chosen for one book, one community for the North State, and every child, you know, um, in this area is going to read a book about where they actually yeah. live because... You know, when I was growing up, like, I suppose, realistically at school, we were always reading books that were set in England and set in other countries. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a sense, we felt no idea that our place 
was a setting all worthwhile of its own. Yeah. And I think that's really important as well. And I mean, when these boys were with me on Mondays, I couldn't shut them off. To be yeah. <laughs> we're all gone very quiet now. That's but okay too. It is their too. first experience of radio. And I think like every experience they're going to have now, and interestingly, I went into their class recently, and I'm going to start a waiting for up here next year now in the school. And I have a lot of help here with yeah. the Stacey Library and Masterson and Hanlon. And I think like all these people are interested in helping the kids get their story told. Yeah. And when I've asked people in the class, how many people want to join a writing group next year? It's not the group that I would normally expect a show of hands up for. They would just, all these hands went up because they now see what they can do. But you see what will happen as well. And the two Daniels and Kyle and, and, um, like that what's going to happen now lads is your friends in school are going to read this and they're going to say I could do that exactly yeah. and actually uh, the former primary school principals of the three boys two of them went to Scully Scone and one of them went to Sunday's Well Boys they're both coming today because we are launching the book today and the boys are going to sign their copies. Their families are coming. And I think, you know, I think they should be very proud of themselves. Uh, they came up with these ideas. Yeah. We went from a boring class on a Monday, last class on a Monday, <laughs> where they were being dragged through reading a book they didn't want to read. It just shows you too that when the material is relevant yes. and when it's something, and I have to actually also say that like the cooperation we got with this book we had a photographer volunteer her time. Um, you know, in the bo- in the story, the boy's dad is guard. We've got the local community guard standing for a photo. Fabulous. And he did remind me he should be on guard business on the day. Where she actually you've got you've you've got everybody in it, and it's lovely, and it's great, and it's at, again. I'm, I mentioned that Terence McSweeney is such a a progressive school and and the the nurturing of the youngsters up there is something that should be shouted about from the rooftops and we're happy to help you do that today well we love our students they're very special every one of them they mean so much to us yeah and they they bring so much fun to our lives i mean i've had great fun on this and i you know thank you for the recommendations of school happy happy to do it thank you phil and daniel mccarthy and kyle higgins and daniel stewart thank you all the authors of a lovely new book called shadow written produced designed made up and written down by the first years of Terence McSweeney in Ocnahini. Well done, lads. 1850-715-996. Quick catch-up with Fiona, who's down in Princess Street. The Brollies look great in the photographs. How are they on real life, Fee? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're the full width of the street, so they're offering great protection from the rain that we've had here this morning. Now, they are just taking them down at the minute, but they're going through what was described there by one of the business people. Um, you know, for fire and safety purposes, they need to try out whether or not they can take them down very quickly. And um, I think they will be going back up again then for Monday for when everywhere is open and ready for outdoor dining. How are they anchored down? Um, my, my, okay, theory, not like my, an... <laughs> my fear is that this is Ireland. <laughs> no, no, they're really, really secure. There's like big metal posts into the ground. There's like a hole dug into the ground and they're in that. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously now that's a really bad description. It's fine. But, they're, but they're really, really secure. They're really strong. They're not just like the normal parasols that you would find in your garden. Right. These are big industrial type umbrellas. And, um, they're and who, offering who, who, who has security. come together to put them in, Fiona? Is it the businesses yeah, of the council? It's all the businesses along the street have come together and have 
have funded these and they haven't come cheap the the figure that i did here was something like 300 grand but um i need to just get that uh, confirmed but all the businesses did come together Good. they are looking for some funding to help with this because it is an expensive project but uh, you know they're the, the benefits of it are going to be huge they are going to be up all year round and they it's, it's a five-year plan it will be reviewed in three years time but you know if they are up all year round you know it will be great for the businesses here sorry I just have to move because they're taking all the umbrellas down and, and they're folding them up so. you're capturing the atmosphere just by being there <laughs> <laughs> That's it, and there's so many people walking past and just stopping to have a look and Great. see. And, um, you know, once the tables are all out here, it's just going to be something to behold, really. Um, you know, I was talking to one man there, he said that they have these in Spain and they work fantastically, so yeah. I've no doubt that they're going to be really popular Hopefully here in Cork. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's, it's, it's great to see it. Good enough to down there with you, Fiona, because unfortunately we are out of time. Fiona is here in this seat tomorrow and on Friday because I'm doing what I usually do with bank holiday weekends. I extend them a little bit for myself. So uh, be nice, you lot, for the next couple of days. Uh, the programme today edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Enjoy your long bank holiday weekend. Behave, bring your junk home. And I'll talk to you Tuesday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.